You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman had shown Gotham the true colors of going on dark knight detectives and all batman family and friends welcome back to another episode of the eternal night podcast a podcast dedicated to all things dark knight detective and batman and his world as you all know i am your host and we are here to talk about batman's rogues gallery today in wake of the new suicide squad film coming out from warner brothers pictures and dc films blah 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 directed by james gunn you all know the drill it's in the title suicide squad it's a bunch of villains doing bad things to get time off their prison sentences sometimes they live sometimes they die so in kind of honor of that uh myself and of course my co-host craig blowlock craig how you doing champ doing wonderful you don't sound wonderful you sound like you're having some some issues you, you doing all right are you sure i'm doing okay now before i wanted to throw my laptop out the window yeah, I'm sure. Matter of fact, yes, I do know that. I'm so sorry. I'm so I Very couldn't close. help it. Uh, we, you know, we we were kind of toying around with what we should what we should do next. And uh, given that the new DC film is about villains, I threw the idea. Well, what if we did a, a top ten of our favorite Batman villains? And then I we decided, well, we can't just do this episode alone. So we decided to invite our old friend, another GameStop regular, uh, former GameStop employee. Miss welcoming Mr. Terrence Litton to the show. Terrence, how you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? Thank you for inviting me on the show, Mr. Phillip and Mr. Craig. It is always so good to see you guys or talk to you guys once again. I am always down to talk to and hang out with fellow GameStop employees. Former. Former. Or former, excuse me. All yes. Former. We are former. all former employees of that niche little game company. <laughs> that mom and pop shop. Yeah, mom and pop shop. There you go. No, that's that's truthfully like where where our whole our friendship really blossomed. We all you know frequented a couple stores in the local area of our our little town here in Sacramento. But Craig, as you all know, is in Missouri, so time time zones are a little iffy. Uh, you know, this episode was supposed to be done about a week sooner, but hey, you know, storms and things and life gets in the way. But here we are. Uh, again, I'm just gonna thank both my my gentlemen guests here today for, you know getting around and rounding up their favorite villains and i'm really excited because i don't know who's on their list they don't know who's on my list i know i've already mentioned one honorable mention just beforehand um so without 
further ado, uh, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to do just uh, our top 10 favorite Batman villains going in order for our, you know, in our personal order from 10 to 1. Um, if any of us have a villain that is higher on their list, they are free to pass about it, not talk about it, add a little bit. It's up to the person's choice. So, um, yeah, but I, I guess, you know, before we do get started, I, it, I'd be remiss if Terrence, if, if Craig and myself didn't ask Terrence, where does your love from Batman begin? Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's one of those things, just like you seen it from like a kid just growing up. And honestly, the main the main reason why I love superheroes in general, like whether it be Marvel or DC, means there's like there's a special love for Batman. Like no matter what I do, I will always love Batman. As much as I hate the person playing Batman, or as much as I hate the episode, or as much as I hate the damn movie, I love Batman. <laughs> like it it no matter what, it Batman Batman all the way. Like every time. My dad's the one that got me into Batman. And I remember as a kid just literally watching the 89 Michael Keaton Batman movie and Batman 1 and Batman 2, Batman Returns. I just watching those things on repeat all the time, doing what I could to just memorize every line from that movie and just do what I could to be just like Michael Keaton. And then I remember growing up after that, seeing Val Kilmer and George Clooney <laughs> butcher it. Like I still appreciated things like you know like I movie I didn't like the movie but I still love you know uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler or like uh, Tommy Lee Jones as like Two Face like actors kind of getting out of their comfort zone maybe not necessarily Jim Carrey but like doing something different to put everything I love about comic books onto the big screen I, I love it. Okay, well said, well said, definitely. And, you know, when I shot the idea, Craig was like, I, I think one of us just was just like, we should get Terrence in on this because I know he'd love to talk about supervillains because we that was like our thing. We would always talk about, you know, supervillains we'd like to see in superhero movies somewhere down the line. I think this was probably right around the time uh, Batman versus Superman got announced in like 2013, 2014, somewhere yeah. in that time frame. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Guys? Right before I shipped out for boot camp. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because you were about to ship off for boot camp, and I think, Craig, you were getting ready to move. Yep. That sounds about right. And, like, that was the, that was a time where, you know, the MCU was just kind of starting to get its footing, and, and Batman was getting reintroduced, and he was going to fight Superman, and everyone was just like, oh, who's, who were who they going to, like, you know, team up to take on against? And this was, you know, well before the movie was even shot, and, and before, like, you know, things starting to leak out about it so the speculation was rampant come to find out you know they were talking about putting in the riddler and i was just like, oh i would have loved to see that but uh yeah you know with with every new batman oh, yeah. movie there's there's always like a uh you know i guess not really a demand but like a, a maybe an expectation of like uh of batman villains and i know with the new film there's a few so there's there's selena kyle catwoman portrayed by zoe kravitz there's uh uh, the Penguin, played by Colin Farrell, and of course Paul Dano taking the lead in the main antagonist role is the Riddler. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Very interested to see how he portrays that version of the Riddler, just from just from the uh, trailer. Same. You no, know, one thing I know is just to just let things pan out for the way they are. Because I remember, especially when we, right when we were going to see a Dark Knight Returns. Like, I was doing nothing but complaining about Heath Ledger as the Riddler. And you're like, dude, I think he's going to do a good job. 
And then I remember just it just being like like frustrated beyond belief. And then that first still of him came out in the prison cell when he was clapping, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna just wait to see. And then that was the best thing I've ever seen to this day in a superhero movie. So not to be that guy, but you said The Dark Knight Returns and Heath Ledger's Riddler. You mean The Dark Knight and the Joker? Do uh, you know what I meant? Yeah, <laughs> Dark Knight. I'm sorry. I was getting, I was getting, I was getting thrown up. I was moving ahead of myself. It's all good, man. No worries. Just had to, you know. Sorry. No, I get it. Well, you know, the Joker. He's a pretty prominent villain. I'm sure that that character will more than likely come up at some point during this conversation. Um, so I guess without further ado, we can probably just get started and get go right into it. Um, do you guys have any honorable mentions that you guys like to list off before we get started, by chance? Uh, actually, hold on one second. I want to do a shout out to Batman Beyond Villain Blight. He's not on my list, and I thought that was an interesting take. As far as like, especially when the futuristic villains from Batman Beyond, because I love that show. It just there wasn't a lot of villains that really stood out. I really liked Blight because there was no other villains like him, and it was just different. And I, and I really did like it, but he didn't make the list because again, he's still one of my top favorite villains. But it just there's not a lot to go off with him. Yeah, because he's in such a you know limited capacity in the first season. There really isn't much to chew on, but the little bit there is, there's a little bit of interesting value there because he's such a drastic departure in regards to you know the the dynamic between batman and the joker from you know what we're all accustomed to but then you thrust the timeline 40 years in the future you have a younger batman who's a little more headstrong he's got to have some kind of like you know interesting different counterbalance that isn't quite the joker and i I gotta admit like blight being you know who he was Derek powers that was a really nice foil for both you know bruce wayne and terry mcginnis so that's a that's a pretty solid choice I think an honorable mention for me would probably be because he uh, he's not necessarily a villain any longer. But I mean, back when this story was going on, he was, I guess, yeah, he pretty much did turn into a villain. Was um, Azrael mm. uh, okay. from the yes. Nightfall storyline back in the '90s? Uh, so just so that everybody knows, my list is mainly going to be. It's going to kind of seem like a basic Batman villain list because. I mainly read Batman comics really only in like the early 90s. I really kind of fell out of comics around the 2000s. And only lately am I now going back and like rereading everything that I've missed over the last almost 20 years. So a lot of my choices are going to be influenced mainly from like the animated series and the little bit of comics that I did read. And that's where Asriel kind of stuck in for me. That was one of the last like big Batman stories that I read back then. Um, For those that don't know, the Nightfall storyline was uh, Bane's big introduction. It was him doing this huge plot where he basically unleashed a bunch of villains on Batman on Gotham City and wore him out uh, to the point where Bane famously broke Batman's back. And um, Bruce had to find somebody to uh, take the reins as Batman. So he found um, this character. I don't remember. What was the character's actual name? John Paul Valley. That's right, John Paul Valley. Um, so he he became Batman, and this being the 90s, they were like, well, we need a edgy Batman. So that's where this character comes in. He takes the form of Azrael, 
And it's basically, imagine Batman mixed with RoboCop. He's got this metallic suit. He's got lasers. He's got claws on his hands. And this Batman was more about the vengeance side instead of the justice side. His idea of justice was, if you're a criminal, I'm going to kill you. And it was interesting to see that happen. Uh, it was interesting to see a Batman who had a laser gun mounted on his shoulder like the frickin' Predator and yeah. just blowing goons away instead of knocking them out and leaving them for the police. So it was just, it was very interesting to see back then uh, when I was reading that comic and just going, wow, this is a very different direction to take. And I know as time has gone on, he's become much more of a on the ally side of Batman rather than the villain side. But that introduction, I remember that sticking with me back when I was reading that. Well, Still think, to this day, one of my favorite costumes for Batman. I think yeah. there's another character in the Azrael mantle now, and that's why the character is more of an ally. So I think someone else has taken up there. I could be wrong about that. I'm honestly not 100% sure. Um, I think you are right. I forget his name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they used the second one in, in Arkham City and Arkham Knight. Yeah. 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 And he had that dope ass uh red and white outfit right, uh, right, with the right. yeah. the the Saint Dumas. Right, right. right. Or the, yeah, yep. the Order of Saint Dumas, yeah. Yes. So my honorable mentions uh Craig actually you mentioned him. Uh Bane is on my list as well as uh for for every reason that Craig just listed. Uh, I think he's a fine villain. I just don't put him in my top 10. He I feel like, you know, he was kind of kind of like Venom in a sense to in, in Spider-Man very much like a product of that time and perfect for that time frame, but might be a little bit harder to adapt as time goes on. But I feel like Bane, there's a little bit of a, a timelessness in there because like he can, you know, he's essentially like more or less like a, a steroid addict. So yeah, you, you, can, you can rewrite that <laughs> 10 ways to Sunday as, as time goes on. So, and you know, the, 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 of the two portrayals that have been done between Batman and Robin and, you know, the Dark Knight Rises, I, I actually prefer Tom Hardy's portrayal of the character. So I found that one a little more interesting, at least visually. Um, and to, to Craig's point, Nightfall was one of the first stories I ever collected. And I just, I just like the idea of Bane breaking all these villains out of Blackgate and Arkham and just having them wreak havoc on Gotham City, wearing Batman down to a point of near complete exhaustion only to wear him down and walk him into the cave and have him be met by Bane only to just have his back broken. That is like one of the most just jar, not jarring, but like one of the most, oh shit moments in in comics I'd ever just like, you see that moment where it's the panel and it's Bane. He's got, he's breaking his back and it says break you in big red letters. It's just yep. so you, you see that and you feel it. But uh, also on my list, I've got Hugo Strange scarecrow and we were kind of talking about this character before we started recording uh the batman who lasts is very more recent antagonist into batman's mythology yeah hugo strange was going to be a uh honorable mention for me as well good villain just never didn't really stick out too much i feel like him and bane kind of have a similar thing in that you bring in Bane to break Batman's back, and then after that, he's a good muscle for hire. He's probably a really good member on the Suicide Squad. He's a really good team player. But then you get to Hugo Strange. Hugo Strange's only crutch is like, oh, I figured out your Bruce Wayne is Batman. And then after that, it's like, what more can you do? I mean, 
You can make yeah. him the head of Arkham, sure. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a lot of Hugo Strange stories out there. If someone, I know he's actually one of the for the first Batman villains ever, next to Joker and Catwoman too. He goes back to 1941, so he's one of the the original villains too. So he's been around for a long time. Quite a while. I guess yeah, maybe actually, when we were doing when I was doing research for these uh, for this list, and I looked up some information on Hugo Strange, uh, actually. His first introduction, his uh, evil plot was he developed a mist so that it would hide what he was doing. It would basically hide his criminal activities. I'm like, right. that's a pretty plain, basic way to introduce a character. <laughs> very much. Uh, well, this was like circa, you know, ni- 1939, 1940, 1941. It was very early. Yeah. Very early. Yeah. And um, as for the Scarecrow... Uh, Jonathan Crane, another uh, I wouldn't call him big game player in the in the Batman's Rogues Gallery, but I think he's a very formidable foe. Obviously, he uses a lot of uh, fear-based toxins, and he's very adept and very intellectual. Uh, he's even the most recent villain on the Titans TV show, so that's cool. Uh, he's also got that pretty nifty Scarecrow look, which has changed over time, and I always found that very interesting about the character. It's not always, not always been a a very straightforward yeah. look all the way through. He's always had kind of a change up every now and again, and it's always not the same. I really liked what they did. Um, as much as I liked the animated series version of Scarecrow, um, I really liked what they did in the Arkham games with Scarecrow's design, giving him this kind of like the hood over his head and the like melted the gas face kind of. Yes, the gas and mask. like the the like Freddy Krueger fingers where his he's got the needles on his fingers on as how he injects the uh, fear toxin mm-hmm. really really liked that version and i liked how his voice morphed because he had the gas mask on because that was always kind of the thing with the animated series is yeah he looked menacing but he just had a normal voice so he sounded it wasn't like anything a... to intimidate Yeah, actually, you know, in the current run of Batman, uh, the Tyne, James Tynan IV, he's writing Batman right now, and um, he's using the Scarecrow in, in, in the current story that he's writing. It's um, he, the, the, the way Jorge Jimenez draws the Scarecrow, it's actually pretty terrifying. He's got a gas mask, but he's also got some, some of those, like, finger injectors, and they're very uh, large, and there's, like, a, like, some very, you know, almost creepy demonic angelic like haystack wings that he's got behind him it's it's just ter- almost terrifying like, I'll, I'll take a picture of the most recent batman issue i've got and i'll send it to you guys in the group chat but um even still uh scarecrow isn't quite one of my 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 top 10 favorite batman villains yeah i agree with that most definitely and the Batman who laughs you know he's just very recent addition i think in only in the last five years I think that's was, about right. He yeah, he was introduced in 2016, 2017, somewhere in there when when Dark Knight's Metal was was happening. Uh, basically, you know, dark multiverse Batman who winds up killing the Joker, but in that instance, that and, and that is the reason he becomes the Batman who laughs because in that dark multiverse in that universe, if that if the, whoever kills the Joker becomes the Joker. So in that case, since Bruce Wayne was the one who killed him, Batman became the Joker, and then he's become just quite the antagonist for DC Comics, just wreaking absolute 
chaos and even getting a couple different events which you know he orchestrates and eventually ascends to like getting a dr manhattan-esque body and becoming the darkest night like this character is just crazy is the best way i can describe it basically picturing batman and joker get a Yu-Gi-Oh fusion card (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's yeah that's pretty accurate so craig i know you're you're on the hunt for some new books if you if you're into it check out a dark knight's metal and death metal and batman who laughs yep those are all on my to be bought list here soon well in that in that case i guess without further ado we can finally move on to our number 10s uh terrence you're our guest why don't you kick us off who's your number 10 okay so my number 10 i so basically let me start off by saying that joker will not be on my list and that's not for the reason you're thinking of joker by far is like one of the greatest villains ever written into comic books tv cartoons video game anything you think of honestly it's just cold calculated and most people hate clowns so it just works he's not going to be on my list for the simple reason because everybody knows how dope he is and how awesome he is so i'm just going to leave him at like the pinnacle like god tier whatever my number one is he's going to be like 20 above that regardless so i'm not putting (laughs) him on there just to give like shine to other villains that I really like that are my favorites. And I had like, I want to see do other things on top of that. So Joker would not be on my list for that reason. He, he, no matter he's got, he's got here to me. So he does not get a number. My number 10 though. Um, I love the court of owls. I love that whole storyline. I love how they dive into it. I, I, I find it very interesting that there's like a secret society in Gotham city controlling everything including uh bruce wayne's parents death i love it um but the one thing i really like was that they had the talents so i thought that was cool it's cool to read it and see it but actually seeing it when i first saw it on batman versus robin the animated movie talent was a badass like just i thought it was awesome and i love seeing him and i wish they could and did do more with him i'm not ready to talk about the court of owls <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. I just I thought I'd have to put that on there. I I'm not the quarter of hours. I'm really glad you the, did. The quarter of hours itself, I'm not even throwing on there because that that again, another podcast just on them you could do. But I'm specifically targeting talent and more specifically the one that they showed on Batman versus Robin. I think that was William Cobb, I think. I don't I don't really remember. I'd have to watch that movie again. Uh all right. Craig. Okay. He is my number ten. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I'm not ready to talk about the Court of Owls, but we will in due time. Uh, Craig, who's your number 10? Number 10 for me, um, and again, to, so everybody can kind of understand, my point of references are mainly from animated shows, movies, that kind of thing, just because I didn't really read the comics starting around 2000 going forward. But uh, number 10 for me is uh, The Penguin. And yeah. mainly because, and he's down at number 10 for me, Everybody thinks of the Penguin, and, you know, he's not really that much of a menace if you really think about it. In the terms of Batman's rogue gallery, Cobblepot has never really been that much of, I guess you would say, like a major threat. Yeah, he's got his plots, and he's got, you know, he's he wants to be a criminal, you know, uh, leader. But he doesn't really do anything that really stands out. You know, when people talk about those standout Batman storylines... You never really think of the penguin. Um, 
But the reason why he's number 10 on my list was actually for an episode of the animated series uh, called Birds of a Feather, which was an episode where Penguin uh, gets out of jail and he just decides, you know what, I, I'm going to be an upstanding citizen. I'm, I'm done being a criminal. Um, I want to start over. I want to start my life fresh. And I want to be an upstanding citizen of Gotham City. And unlike those kind of situations where you see those kind of plots in most shows and most storylines where they're acting that way, but they secretly have a hidden agenda, this was actually legitimate. Penguin actually wanted to be a good person. He wanted to reform himself and he wanted to be accepted by the people of Gotham. And for most of the episode, he does. Then he ends up meeting um, this woman. I want to say, I think her name was Victoria. And she's, she's part of like the, you know, the Gotham elite. She's, you know, really ritzy and high class. And even Bruce and Batman, are kind of like, why is this woman so interested in the Penguin? And it turns out that she's not really interested in him. She just thinks it would be great for her publicity's sake if she were to hang out with him and be kind of a quote-unquote love interest for him. Penguin, of course, on the other hand, is starting to fall heads over heels for her. He wants to like propose to her. He wants to build a life with her. And she's just in it for the notoriety um, to the point, though, too, on uh, the Penguin side, uh, at one point in the episode, they end up getting uh, some guys, some goons try to uh, rob her, and he stands up for her, and he fights off these goons. And you're just sitting there going, wow, he's actually reformed. He's trying to be a good guy. And then it turns out he overhears what's actually going on, where her and her little like cohort friend are talking about how, you know, Penguin's actually a disgusting individual and she truly doesn't want to have anything to do with him. That, of course, causes him to snap and he goes back to his old ways. And it was just, that's all, that episode has always stuck out to me because I was like, man, this wasn't an opportunity for a villain to actually become a reformed citizen and the people that Batman protects actually turned him back to his old ways and it was just a really really outstanding episode of that show um i don't know that i can add anything else to that i I didn't even have penguin on my list from being totally honest i I think he's a very fine batman villain but he uh i wasn't one i necessarily had even considered i think uh oswald cobblepot is definitely like he's an antagonist and a villain for sure but he's just um he i think just he works better in a very much more like a smaller role where you know he's in in that uh you know kind of like maybe at war with the black mask or being a being a weapons dealer on the on the underbelly of gotham in in that yeah, kind he's of capacity much more of a background character yeah yeah he's 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 more of a nuisance to me than an actual villain compared to some of the other guys i will say though i i do really like how uh he was portrayed in batman returns by danny devito oh Classic, <laughs> absolutely classic. Which is why I rewatched that movie so many times. Yeah, I I can watch that movie every Christmas and never get tired of it. His portrayal of that character is nothing short of you know it's 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 given that character a human in a lot of ways, and I really feel like you know that that gets reflected a little less in in comics because they usually try and take a little bit more of a reserved animated route, which is fine. I'm not you know complaining too hard, but 
it, it, it's nice to see uh, Oswald when he's, at least for me anyway, when he's, you know, kind of in the in the darker shades of Gotham when, as opposed to trying to be, uh, to Craig's point, you know, in, 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 in the socialist, in the social light, light, I guess would be the best way I can say it. I don't know. Yeah. But I do say, I do think that, you know, that, that, that trying to put on that elite facade does work well in his favor because, you know, the fact that he is kind of perceived as kind of a freak and kind of a, you know, a, a poser, if you will. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, well, uh, my number 10 is uh, Harvey Dent Two-Face. Excellent choice. First one with the OG classic. Yeah, Two Harvey Dent Two-Face, pretty classic villain. I think he goes back. I, I don't have all the you know MOs up in front of me. I just know he's one of the earlier creations and one of the earliest Batman villains. Um, I just always love the dynamic between the two. Uh, sometimes they're friends, but more often than not, um, you know, even just after recently watching uh, Long Halloween Part 2, getting that full transition from Harvey Dent to Two-Face and, like, you know, Terrence, you were talking earlier about uh, Harvey Dent and uh, Tommy Lee Jones' portrayal of Two-Face. While it may not be, you know, a a memorable one for for many in, in, in a, you know, positive way there there I, I will say to your point that it, it was interesting to see him kind of stretch his his chops in an uncomfortable way because i'm pretty sure him and jim carrey had a pretty interesting time filming that movie i know they were they were not a one was not a fan of the other i think it was tommy lee was not a fan of jim carrey definitely yeah, tommy that, lee was, that was the case did not like jim carrey right <laughs> so to see him you know be as boisterous and so uh you know i not cartoony per se, but just very uh, energetic was just very jarring considering a lot of other roles that he's done. So I wonder if that animosity might have fed that a little bit. But, you know, uh, just a general fan of that that character of the, the, the coin flipping, the, the dual personality, the split personality issue, the, um, the, the, the acid getting on the face, the disfigurement, like the, even, you know, to some, in some incarnations, his, his wife, Gilda Dent, like just a tragic character and really like a, a, a proof in the pudding that no one is really safe in Gotham city. Well, as you know, I just recently, I went back and I rewatched uh, the dark Knight returns animated movies. <coughs> and that, uh, to see that point where two face is reformed, gets his, you know, his, they got his face surgically back to normal. Right. <coughs> he immediately goes right back to his, uh, life crime and Batman confronts him, and it turns out that Harvey Dent just can't let go of the fact that he is a monster, that he is Two-Face, to the point where when Batman finally sees him and sees that his face is entirely okay, whereas Batman was wondering, oh my god, he probably disfigured himself again to try to live up to the persona, right? <clears throat> stops him and sees that his face is perfectly normal, but... In Dent's eyes, he still sees the monster in front of him, and he just can't let go of that. And that's the, I think that's the true tragedy of that character. Yeah, and you know, Craig, you brought up a really good point, and you know, I think Terrence did too. We're not really try- making a, a hard choice of where our favorite villains are coming from. It's just kind of a hodgepodge because we're just fans of the character. We've been fans of the character, for, you know, 25, 30 years, however old we we really want to age ourselves here. But yep. you know, for for as long as we were, you know, little tykes in you know late eighties, early nineties. 
growing up with Batman, Batman's always been there in some capacity. So our villain list is probably going to vary in, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, to, to Craig's point, Two-Face is just, again, that, that a really tragic character. Uh, I think the Dark Knight probably, if you want to be, like, technical about it, I think the Dark Knight probably has the, the, the most faithful yet Two-Face adaptation as of yet. I mean, we, we don't know if Matt Reeves will get a trilogy. I, I hope if he does that Two-Face would be a part of that world somehow, somewhere down the line. But as, as it stands right now, I feel like Aaron Eckhart really delivered a really solid performance as a Harvey Dent and Two-Face there towards the end of The Dark Knight, even if, like, you know, one of the criticisms of that movie is that it is a little overstuffed and Two-Face might feel just a little too attached or too tacked on, if you will. But I honestly, just like, I'll take it. Because that world yeah. is, as like, as condensed as it is, I will take any Batman, anything that Christopher Lloyd can cook up. So... Pretty much at that point, yeah. Like you said, honestly, the one thing I really liked about The Dark Knight with, like I said, Aaron Eckhart being uh, Two-Face, he really hit, you know, the the head on the nail as far as, like, making that character in the Batman series is supposed to be the uncorruptible person being corrupted and just being completely broken. And he did that really well. I was almost hoping that he was going to come back for a third movie because I really, really do wish that there would have been like a, a true battle for the soul of Gotham City somewhere in there. And maybe even like with a, I feel like if he would have done two, like in the off chance that Christopher Nolan decided to do something completely different and not do like Bane and Catwoman and kind of revisit Rachel Ghoul with Talia Al Ghoul for the third movie. Like if he had done like a, a battle for the soul of Gotham City, like kind of a, a, re, a redux, if you will, because that was kind of how the Dark Knight ended between him and the Joker. But like instead it's now like, under the the you know you have the white knight and the dark knight you know the former white knight and the dark knight you know you have dark harvey dent two-face and like batman but i always wondered if if nolan ever tr thought about doing the riddler because i always thought that kind of character was in that in his wheelhouse but i digress yeah honestly i've been cool seeing that I, th I think nolan could have done some great things with a character like the riddler he he would have had to do because the one thing he said he wanted to do about it, he wanted to make it realistic when he made those movies, which I understand. But anybody realistic without like superpowers would have been like up his alleyway. Would I honestly I would have loved to seen any one of them. I was honestly surprised he kind of did Bane because I felt like that would have been more unrealistic compared to some of the other people like more down to earth he could have did but still been crazy good villains. Yeah, it is pretty pretty wild to think about all the other villains he passed up in favor, you know, I mean, Catwoman feels, you know, like a natural choice because she hadn't been seen since 1966. That, or sorry, uh, Batman Returns. Oh, wow. I almost forgot about Michelle Pfeiffer. Shame on me. <laughs> but you know, that, that, that felt like a, you know, a not safe choice, but that felt like, okay, that makes sense. Like definitely for that kind of world too, because it was very, you know, corrupt and very, very, you could very easy, easily write, Catwoman into that world so I feel like putting her in the third movie was a great great idea but like you know falling back on on the the League of Shadows again and you know bringing in Talia that was cool if you're a, a fan of that character and you're a fan of like that corner of Batman's mythology which I am to an extent we I'm sure we will get there but yeah it, it is pretty interesting to think about like the fact that he passed up on characters like you know the Riddler or he passed up on uh you know, giving Two-Face a, a much larger story instead of, you know, unfortunately just having him die in the last moments of the Dark Knight or doing a character like, um, oh, uh, Hugo Strange, maybe. That would have probably been really good. Honestly, I feel like he probably even could have got away with Firefly over Bane. 
I feel like I could have gotten away with Firefly. Uh, maybe, maybe Mr. Freeze, but that's a tough, tough, tough sell. He'd probably have to do something like he did with Bane and make it a little bit more uh, realistic, if you will. Um, probably would look like Captain Cold from uh, DC Legends or something like that. <laughs> maybe. Or, um, well, he already did Scarecrow, too. Uh, there was Victor's, There was a little Victor Zaz cameo in Batman, Be- uh, Batman Begins. And, um, oh, you know what? Black Mask. Black Mask would have been a fun one, too. Yes. I have to say, I love... Oh, why can't I think of his name? Um, Birds of Prey. Black Mask. Ellen McGregor. Thank you. Freaking Obi-Wan. No, I, I don't know what I can think of his name. I love his portrayal of Black Mask and Birds of Prey. Didn't care for the movie so much, but I loved him 100% as Black Mask. I, I would love to see him in everything as Black Mask. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate the way he went out in that movie, but I, I, I don't disagree. He uh, he really knocked it out of the park with that role. That was a really good, good choice. Good casting. All right. I guess we'll go on to our number nines. Uh, Terrence, you gave our number ten. What about Craig? Why don't you give us your number nine? So number nine for me is a bit of an out-of-the-ballpark idea. Uh, mine, number nine... <clears throat> again, similar to my Penguin one, where there was just a standout episode of the animated series for me to put him in there. Uh, my number nine is a baby doll from season three oh. of the animated series. Um, that episode messed with me so much as a kid. Um, so for those that don't know, baby doll, um, I don't remember the character's actual name. Um but she was a actress, and she kind of was this kind of, I guess you would say, like a Shirley Temple type, very like all of her, uh, she was in a TV show, and it was very just kind of like nuclear family, 1960s kind of Brady Bunch style, everybody's happy, everybody learns a life lesson at the end of the episodes, but what you come to find out as you watch this episode is the baby doll is actually, even though she appears to look like probably I would say like an eight or nine year old girl. She's actually a woman in her probably I would say like late twenties, early thirties, because she has this condition that she just will not age. She hit like her peak at like eight or nine and just never age from that point on. To the point where she actually has the voice of a full grown woman, but she's just in the body of this little kid. And the struggle that she goes through in the episode where you kind of see how after the show got canceled and she tried to go into more serious roles or she tried to get like movie roles and people just looked at her as like, well, you're a little kid. We don't want you. You know, you're only good for kid roles. And she has this just mental break where she decides that she's going to kidnap all of her co-stars from the old show. She's going to get them onto the studio again, and they're just going to live their lives in the happy world that the world that she knew as an actress that she had full control over and that everybody adored her and everybody loved her. And they were just going to live their lives like that, whether they wanted to or not. And Batman, of course, shows up. And uh, I mean, it's even to the point where she has like a gun hidden inside her baby doll that she carries around with her. And it's just a very interesting episode to watch as you see this character struggle with the fact that 
they are literally trapped in their own body, much to like, I know everybody talks about, you know, characters in Marvel like Dr. Octopus, and he has his, you know, metallic arms, and how he's stuck in his body, but the, you know, the arms help him, you know, deal with that. Baby doll doesn't have that. She's literally just a woman trapped in a little kid's body, and she can't do anything about it. And the really heartbreaking thing is at the end of the episode, she sees her reflection, and she sees a reflection of what she could have been, and she sees this full-grown, beautiful, blonde woman, and she just knows that she's never going to be able to obtain that. And the way the episode ends where Batman, he doesn't, doesn't arrest her or anything. He just he walks up to her. She's got her uh, doll gun thing. She drops it to the ground. She just holds his leg, and she's just like, I didn't mean to, which was her catchphrase from the show. But you can just tell in her voice she's completely broken, and she doesn't know what to do. And Batman just doesn't do anything. He just pats her on the head because he knows exactly what's going on. And that was just that really made that character stand out to me it was an episode that i just never forgot all these years later yep i uh i am not ready to talk about um not necessarily (laughs) that character but i mean that episode because i literally had that exact episode in mind with another character and i'm not going to get into it because i i would just say i absolutely despise baby doll (laughs) <laughs> like I, I don't get me wrong. Like you, not necessarily made me reconsider, but you brought up a lot of good points and the realisticness of like people with mental issues and something like that. People trapped in their body, hundred percent. But again, still hate that character with the episode with you know the other character in that episode who I'm definitely going to talk about later. And one of the reasons why I have them on my list is why I'm so upset about it. But I'm not. I'm not going to say nothing else. <laughs> I don't really have much to add to the baby doll character. The character never really crossed my mind. I just feel like that was a, um, a small character. One and done. Show. Just, yeah, just kind of a one and done character. I don't really have any um, strong feelings about it one way or the other. Not to diminish anything Craig said, I just um, didn't really find any. I, I mean, it's true. It is sad, but just, you know, just one of those characters that kind of came and went for me. Yep. Uh, what about you, Terrence? What's your number nine? Okay, so my number nine is uh, Batman Red Death. And I don't mean to spoil anything for you, Craig, and I'm sorry because I know you haven't looked up the the Metal Batman, but this is uh, two of my favorite superheroes other than Batman in the DC Universe have to be The Flash and Green Lantern. I love their dynamic in the Justice League TV shows, but after reading, like, the Metal Batman, like, the story behind the Batman Red Death is just, it's just awesome. Like, I, I love it. Like the short intro it had just like had me like hooked to all the other ones because it was one of the first ones you read about in the volume of as far as the intros to the other Batman from the uh, dead universes. Basically, Batman gets sick. He doesn't get sick, but basically he tells Flash like, hey, look, I can use the speed force better than you. Goes to the Flash's rogue gallery, steals all of his rogue gallery's weapons, basically gets the best of Flash, puts him on the Batmobile that's hooked up to the cosmic treadmill and drains the speed force out of him into himself and becomes Batman red death. Genius. Like I, I couldn't get past, I couldn't get enough of it. Batman and the flash together and Batman just doing everything he can to get the speed force. And once he gets it, the costume, 
everything about it is just oh, it's just amazing. I, I can't wait for you to read it because once you do, you're you're gonna be hooked just like I am. And it's basically just Batman doing everything Batman does, but better than them with their powers. Truly phenomenal. Interesting. Uh I have some familiarity with Red Death. He's not on my list, but I can talk about him for for a quick second. Um, Red Death as a concept is is interesting, and I I don't remember that, but that does all kind of ring a bell. And let him think about it. Uh, how the Red Death gets his powers. I just like the idea and the armor and the way that like that character looks. I just always think that that character is just visually terrifying because you've got like Bruce Wayne with the power of the Speed Force, and like he can. That's like that's just terrifying because he can think as fast as he can run and like batman is super tactical and super smart and now he's like being fed and just it's it's just he goes from just regular to being 10 steps ahead of somebody to being like 50 steps ahead of somebody exactly i yeah it's just like that's one of the ones that caught my eye that i just i could not get enough of this and if they made like i honestly i want them to make an animated movie about this more than anything i would love to see the batman who laughs I feel like Dark like Knight's Metal could, could be a, an animated movie or maybe a two or three part something because like you've got you know you've got metal, death metal and like oh uh, there's another one too, darn it what is it there's like Last Night on Earth as well like you I feel like you could do a, a series like set in that in that you know strange world that that Scott Snyder carved out into Batman's mythology that he him and Greg Capullo can call all their own. Yeah, and that's the could the, the, honestly the thing I'd like to see if they did do that too would something to be like have a like Kevin Conroy like still being Batman play the Batman who laughs and him having him do like a Joker laugh or him have his own like variation of it as you know the Batman who laughs and just having all the characters not necessarily from the Justice League but like the characters you know you love and hear all the time as the as the as your favorite characters like turn to like the bad side as far as being the bad version of Batman, but in that universe. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Cause you've got all these other different variations of like the dark Knights. Cause you've got the drowned, you've got the red death, obviously the Batman who lasts, you have the merciless, you have the destroyer, like the death the, machine, the death machine, Dawnbreaker. Yep. Yep. Like all these just whack variations of just Batman and other versions of DC characters. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of my favorite ones is actually how, uh, the destroyer happens. Cause I think, it's in a fight with Superman. Batman loses his arm, and then that's what like kind of prompts him to take so the Kryptonian DNA and becomes the Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that was truly ruthless how that one panned out. Yeah, because he uses he uses a Kryptonite spear. That was kind of like a, a homage to Batman versus Superman. That was a interesting fight. But that is my number nine. I only have one more metal Batman on here, and he's a little bit further up on the list. But I'm gonna wait till I get there. Anything to add to the Red Death, Craig? Not too much. Not much. I am not familiar with that character, so that that one is that one's an unknown to me. All right. Well, uh, in that case, we'll just move on to my number nine, and that is uh, going to be Slade Wilson, Deathstroke. Very much more kind of a recent thing too, because uh, there is a comic i'm still trying to find it to this day but there's a panel in which like deathstroke and batman fight on top of clock tower and to my knowledge this, this, deathstroke's the only other character in dc canon to like deliver batman like a good old-fashioned ass whooping so yep. i've always admired that and again like slade wilson just as a character you know he's just this ruthless mercenary he's tactical he's just vicious he's a, you know 
He's one of my favorite characters. Um, I like that he was portrayed by Joe Manganiello in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and you know, just like I, th- I thought that was just absolutely perfect casting. And even like even on the Titan show, as, as like you know, as subservient as that as that re- that that scripting is, I still think Asai Morales did a pretty good job as Deathstroke on that series as well. And even Manu Bennett on Arrow. I don't really think there's ever been like a bad live action Deathstroke, so I have that going for it. It really hasn't. On that, the animated Deathstroke uh, Slade in Teen Titans was very well done, too. Yeah. Clancy Brown. What's that? Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Uh, Deathstroke was actually going to be my next one. Uh, he was going to be my number eight. Um, yeah, I agree with you entirely on what you said there. He's one of the only characters that can go one-on-one, toe-to-toe with Batman, and not just be a matchup but could possibly defeat him if, if he had the ability to and he had the speed force for a little while in the comics too i think that was a thing in rebirth where he was uh a speedster so oh really like, he was like even more lethal to some extent as oh, well jesus yeah <laughs> it, it was nuts um Honestly, after seeing the Suicide Squad and seeing like you know, um, you know, Deadshot from the first film played by Will Smith, and then you get you get, you know, Deathstroke, Joe Manganiello, and you know, you know the theatrical cut. God forbid anyone actually wants to watch that, but you know, where Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, but then you've also got now Bloodsport. I'm just like, give me like a three way fight between those three, please. That yeah. would be the sauce. Oh yeah, no, I. Yeah, I want to see all of them. And honestly, like, even with as the characters coming out, just give me more, like, uh, expansion packs with more characters for Injustice. Mm. You know, Fandom is in a couple months, and there is talk about Injustice 3 potentially getting announced because I think they're, they're, like, all about done with Mortal Kombat and the most recent ones. So I think they're probably going to shift focus to, the, to I would imagine, the next Injustice game because that's how they've done oh. it for the last couple yeah, of years now. There have been some pretty heavy rumors about Injustice 3, and I want to say about three or four months ago, uh, NetherRealm came out and said, hey, we're we're done with Mortal Kombat 11. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think someone from NetherRealm came out and yeah, said, we're done with Mortal Kombat 11, which it in gaming development terms, meaning they've been working on their next game for a little while now. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. Boss Logic even did some, like, not an outright tease, but he did, like, a mock-up of, like, a, you know, a, like, not a potential, but, like, he just, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, if this was, like, the Injustice 3 logo, and it had, like, the Watchmen Dr. Manhattan symbol in it, and I was like, oh, please, because oh, I feel God. like that would be the only route you could go down. Uh, yeah, it was back on July 3rd. NetherRealm Studios announces uh, their support has officially ended for Mortal Kombat 11. There will be no further DLC uh, character packs and no uh, updates to the game uh, going forward. So yeah, I, I stopped playing Mortal Kombat. That to me just says Injustice 3 is on the way. I kind of stopped playing Mortal Kombat after I, I mastered Spawn. I, that's the only character I was ever waiting for to come back in a game. And once he came out, I was I was like, done. Well, Deathstroke was one of my favorite characters to play as in the original Injustice. Yeah. Matter of fact, I remember people getting really mad when they would like nerf him in online matches too. That was really funny. Yeah, because they everyone would spam the assault rifle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't even get close to him. That was funny. Those were funny days. 
<laughs> well, since Craig gave his number eight, Darren, who's your number eight? My number eight is the Phantasm. Oh, good choice. Honestly, one of the most underrated characters. Uh, unless you, like I said, looked into some comics. Unfortunately, I haven't looked into many with her in it. But uh, alone, just just from just from the animated movie alone, it's it's something it's something to behold. Like what kind of characters can come out of the Batman Rogue Gallery? It, I love the character. I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was like, "It's a woman." I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "She's badass!" Like, and it's just, I, I love it. It's just one of my favorite characters, and like, I, I can't get over her non-hook slash blade arm. So there's a book that's out right now under the black label, uh, the the black label um, banner, and it's called Batman Catwoman, and the Phantasm is actually one of the antagonists in it. It's a it's a maxi series, so it it should wrap up. Let's see. I think issue six comes out this this month, so I think it wraps up in either December or January. So the the paperback, the trade should be out, you know, sometime next year. If you want to wait till then. Oh yeah, I probably just wait. I like doing everything at once. Yeah, I figured you that was more your style for storytelling. Um, the Phantasm is not on my list, but I will say that's a very great choice. Uh, as you know, as you know, as the listeners probably know, you know, Craig and I did a commentary for Mask of the Phantasm. That was our last episode. Uh, Andrea Beaumont, really fantastic character. As anyone, as any listeners, anyone listening, like as you all know, I'm currently reading Batcat. I enjoy it for what it is, not you know what it's trying to be or whatever, but like just on the character of the Phantasm, just in concept, is like you know there there's a little bit of the Reaper there from year two, but just on, on the whole of being Andrea Beaumont, just kind of like being a, a, a you know a mirror of Bruce Wayne, but in in female form. It's just like, but she goes about it, and you know, where Batman goes for justice, Andrea Beaumont goes for vengeance, and she makes her vengeance towards the Joker and everyone else on that old crew who, you know, mercilessly did her father dirty. She wants that vengeance, and then it sounds like, you know, if you kind of read Batcat, there's a little bit of that that continued vengeance for the Joker, but they haven't wrapped up the story yet. There's also, you know, some Catwoman play in there. They've integrated a couple other things. There's like a, a past, present, future storytelling angle going on as well so like you get uh batman and catwoman prior their relationship and then in the future it's just very very interesting and it's you know it's all intertwined but again i think the sixth issue comes out i'm supposed to go back to my shop here in the next couple of weeks so i'm sure i'll get it by the end of the month but uh yeah i like that do you have anything to add about the phantasm craig yeah well, actually uh, phantasm was number three on my list because as the <clears throat> as the listeners know from the last two episodes, but mainly in the uh, commentary episode we did, um, Batman: Mass of the Phantasm is one of my all-time favorite superhero movies. I could gush over that movie all the time, and uh, Phantasm to me just that character just stuck out to me for so long as a little kid. Like watching that again with you, Phil, was just so great, and getting all those memories back. And again, like you said, that that mirror image of Andrea Beaumont next to Bruce, whereas Bruce went the route of justice and she went the route of vengeance, that's just something that just always really made me love that character so much. And just the animation style in that movie just played to that character design so well. I, I really want to check out, I, I think I'm going to do the same as Terrence. I'm going to wait till the... Uh, Batman Catwoman series is done and I can read it all in one 
because I'm very interested to see the approach they take with Phantasm. Yeah, great character. Um, so going back to uh, number eight, uh, I'm ready to talk about mine, and that is the Court of Owls, as Terrence mentioned earlier. Um, basically everything Terrence ta- spoke about earlier in regards to the Court of Owls, like, they, they, you know, having this secret society looming under Gotham City under, you know, without even Bruce Wayne knowing, like, all of that was just... That, that whole concept to me is just very, very intriguing. Um, I'm kind of hoping that maybe they might show up in the Batman movie because there is, like, you know, uh, a little bit of, like, an, an owl-esque Easter egg in the form of a clue there from the Riddler. So people are theorizing maybe the Court of Owls might show up. I don't know. If they did, I think that'd be really interesting. But, you know, remains oh, to be seen. Oh, that trailer now. Um, also, they are the main antagonist for the upcoming Gotham Knights video game. So that's going to be very nice to see and I, I think to your point like I, I'm a fan of the talent and like the, the concept of like these undead assassins who like you know are not necessarily unkillable but like they, they're just like really uh, you know consciously unconscious just formidable lethal killers without like you know any remorse whatsoever they're just brainless assassins it's pretty cool most definitely that's something I again wish to see more of the Gotham Knights game really looking forward to that Four, place, four person co-op uh, something like I never would have expected from a Batman game alright let's move on to our number 7 Terrence who's your number 7 my number 7 is Hush oh okay Thomas Tommy Elliot like it's basically the mirror image of Batman but I mean he goes out of his way to basically screw Bruce Wayne over and get plastic surgery and do everything to basically take his place and it's just it's so monumentally jacked up and cold and calculated like the steps he goes through to basically screw Bruce Wayne over is it's unreal and honestly the one thing I really did not like was the animated Hush movie or how they had that Riddler spin to it I did not like that at all you're not I, the I said, first I, person I've heard say that, so you're not alone. I I get I get them. I get. I mean, I, I want to say I do get it, but I don't. But I mean, use use their source material for a reason. Go off of that. Yeah, I, I understand. Like you know, wanting to do your creative spin, but sometimes when you know it's such a, a, a drastic departure from you know what is established. I mean, a perfect example really is is like the Long Halloween. Like there is some stuff in the animated film that wasn't present during the initial story, but the stuff that they did add in felt organic to what the initial story already provided. Whereas you look at something like Hush and it's like, well, why was it necessary to make it the Riddler at the end when it wasn't that at the end of the book? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, they tiptoed around the whole thing. And honestly, like having like him go to Poison Ivy and the Bane and even to like Poison Ivy taking over like and controlling Superman that, that had like that, like I could you literally could have do that whole movie without all that extra stuff in it yeah again it, you it, know, it just seemed unnecessary it, it, it really is you know it, it, I find it also kind of unnecessary when when they do make you know those really drastic creative changes that are you know again just really big departures from you know if, if you, I, I, again on the specific case of doing very specific adaptations of very specific storylines. I feel like if you're going to say we're being as faithful as possible to the storyline, that I think people should be a little bit more meaningful with that in that maybe don't be so drastic with some of these 
differences and changes that you want to do just for the sake of having your own animated spin on it. And I feel like doing Hush in live action, it, it, it also does kind of do that to some extent too because it, it, it almost doesn't work in like Batwoman because it's not it's Tommy Elliot going up against Batwoman, not Batman, and so it kind of takes it away from that relationship and in, 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 to a degree, if that makes any sense. If you guys get what I'm getting, at. no, it it it, per it perfectly does. Uh, killing joke. <laughs> oh, killing joke. you just had to bring it up, didn't you? <laughs> oh God, oh, uh, sorry, God. something stuck in my throat there. Uh, killing joke. Oh God. I, that, that's another mm. prime example of like you know low blow. of all the things that they could have done of all the things like of all the kind of stories you could have chosen to tell and building that story up it was just just you know i'd really don't even want to get into it because it's just so just not okay just, the just absolute one. definition of unnecessary added material yes well squandered. said squandered just you have the opportunity they toss you to alley-oop and you just missed the ball yep <laughs> yeah that's Yep, that's that's very true. Well, it's more uh, like they they pass you the ball and you attempt to do your own creative slam dunk and you just completely miss the basket and fall flat on your face. And yet somehow, the the end of like the, yeah. the killing joke of that movie, like the killing joke story, is actually mm -hmm. faithful. But yep. that first thirty forty minutes is just painful. Yep. Yep. I can wholeheartedly agree with that. So if you're if you're really like trying to, if you're looking for something a little bit more faithful, I would recommend like reading the Long Halloween and then watching parts one and two because it's a nice three hour chunk of your time. So just throw that out there. Yeah, I saw the second one just came out and I haven't seen the first one yet because yeah, you know, dad life. But um, right. when I get a second, I'm just gonna you know get pick up both of them and just watch them back to back because my wife actually heard about it and she was pretty interested. She's like, oh, what's this new Batman, the Long Halloween Night and uh, Justice Justice Society World War Two. And I'm like, this is going to take a long time to explain it to you, so it would be better if I just get the movies and have you watch them. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a nice uh, little animated universe going on now. To your guys' point, too, to kind of go along with that about how drifting away from the source material. So, again, I'm not too familiar with everything that's going on in the comic book world of Batman um, but I watched Batman Hush um, on HBO Max, I want to say, like, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And when it got to that reveal where it's the Riddler, even me, as someone who has not read Batman Hush, I sat there and I just kind of sat and I was like, something doesn't seem right here. I don't think this <laughs> is what the twist was supposed to be. And then as the film was kind of reaching its end, I'm just sitting there just going this doesn't seem right to me. And then I go and look it up on, you know, Google and I'm like, ah, yep. Killing joke all over again. Right. Just on a much smaller scale and towards the ending, but yes, much smaller scale. <laughs> uh, who's your, what's, what about you, Craig? What's your, what's your number seven? So number seven for me is actually, was one of your honorable mentions, uh, Bane. Ah, okay. And, um, my main reason for Bane is again, Nightfall was one of the last like major Batman comic storylines I read growing up. And for all the reasons we've already discussed, that's what really stuck out to me. And for me, too, with Bane, I always feel like a little need to defend the guy because like I feel like 
no and no hate to Joel Schumacher, but I friggin' hate the Bane that was in Batman and Robin. I remember when that movie was coming out, I was so looking forward to it. I was like, oh my god, they're putting Bane in a Batman movie. This is gonna be amazing. And he's just a lumbering thing that just says Bane all, all the time instead of actually talking. I remember sitting there as a even as a kid, and I'm like, "What is this? This, this isn't Bane. What is going on?" And I just like to me, I feel like that version of Bane got to so many people that people now look at Bane and go, "Oh, he's the big dumb guy that just gets really big and punches stuff." And I'm like, "No, you have no idea. He's this criminal genius." He broke the bat both mentally and physically. So, like, I just, that's why he's always stuck out to me. Obviously, with the Nolan version, I was very happy with what Nolan did. You know, for the flaws that that movie has, I really liked his portrayal of Bane. Um, it was nice to see him kind of be the little bit of the evil genius. And, yeah, granted, towards the end, you t it turns out that, again, he's kind of just a pawn. He's the right hand of Talia al Ghul. But still, it was just so refreshing to finally see at least some version of Bane that isn't what that Schumacher version was. It was just nice to see that. And um, recently, um, Phil knows I've been re-watching the uh, Harley Quinn animated series on HBO Max. <laughs> that, also, that also kind of played into my listing of Bane. I love what they did with Bane in that show. He's just, I love the fact that he's, he still looks like the Bane from the comics, <laughs> but they ran with the joke from what everybody has said over the years. And they gave him the Bane voice from the dark Knight. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and he's just, he's such, he tries so hard to be like, Hey guys, take me seriously. And no one does. And I feel like that's how it's been with Bane. Since the 90s, <laughs> since the Schumacher movies, nobody takes Bane seriously, even though he is a legit menace. And then I, I actually just got to the episode in season two of the Harley Quinn animated series where Batman get um, Batman's basically he's been um, injured. Yeah. He gets in this uh, metallic uh, robotic suit. Yep. I know exactly he's what episode you're talking about. Yep, he yep. gets the straight shit kicked out of him by Bane, and it was yep. one of my favorite episodes because of everything you just said. And yep. it, it is it it's honestly probably the most accurate Bane that's been done in a long time. I totally agree, and that's that's why I loved it. Like he was a legit threat to Batman, and I'm like, this is the Bane I've been wanting to see. And he 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 doesn't just like. I'm that? using my pass here. I'm using my pass here. I'm sorry. Because Bane is higher up on my list, and I got some things I need to get out. For yeah, sure. go for it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I get you, yeah. I mean, hey, there's no one pass. You can use this pass as many times as you want. But, <laughs> but you know, like, I, I will, I'll agree. Like, Bane is, like, he, he in that episode, too, he doesn't just, like, whoop Batman's ass. He straight kicks the shit out of Batman. <laughs> He throws him against a, a freaking uh, steel beam and snaps his legs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he just, yeah, it, it gets ugly, to put it lightly. Um, Bane was one of my honorable mentions. I, again, I probably prefer the, the Dark Knight 
Rises incarnation over uh, the Schumacher version. I can I can laugh at Batman and Robin now. I don't hate the movie, but I can definitely look at it and laugh under like the, you know, it's 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 essentially Adam West Batman under the yep. the nineties you know camera view, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yeah, I can I can still laugh at it. It's just as a kid l- looking forward so much to seeing Bane on the big screen and getting that version. I was just like, oh, you. Oh, I can't say it. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. That's funny. That's too funny. Um, I guess I'll go with my number seven, and it is neither one of those two characters. Uh, my number seven is, I think we've mentioned her every, every now and again, and actually, you know, since next year will be the 10-year anniversary of The Dark Knight Rises, I'm wondering what I should do for that. If it might be a commentary, if it might be a revisit, I don't know. We'll find out. Anyway, this character is in that movie as well. Uh, my number seven is Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman is one of my favorite female characters for Batman ever created in the Batman mythos. I feel like she's always a great foil, but also a great love interest for the character. Um, I like that she's been portrayed by a number of different actresses over the years. I mean, you've got, you know, Eartha Kitt, Lee Merriweather, and Julie Newmar. You've got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. You've got... Halle Berry. Halle Berry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, look, I always like to say, despite how bad... Though despite how bad like Batman and Robin Batman forever and Catwoman may be despite how like terrible fundamentally those films objectively may be those characters are still valid in DC universe I don't give a shit what anyone says <laughs> everything's valid it's a multiverse but uh um and even more recently like you know Anne Hathaway and soon to be um Zoe Kravitz like I'm, I'm really excited to see how they handle her character in in the Batman uh feels yeah. like she's very um tender but fierce all, all at once i feel like we're finally going to get like a, a selena kyle who evolves into that cat burglar slash love interest for batman as opposed to like either just a straight up antagonist or like you know that more uh, elusive playing both sides like i i really feel like hopefully with with the batman there's going to be a little bit more uh playfulness there but we'll see well catwoman is one of those ones i never really it, it was one of those ones that was hard to consider. Like, is she like technically a villain? Is she technically, you know, yeah. like ally? It's like it's always on the fence, and there's never like a like a distinct like side. Because literally, like, you can go from one comic book series and she can be like a straight up villain and doing everything she can to like not necessarily mess with Batman, but she's being hired by other people to mess with Batman or do stuff to like get in his way. Like, and then the, Dark the next Rises. series, yeah. yeah, and then the next series she'll be like a complete love interest and like an ally the entire time. There's like no one way about it, and that's the one thing that's cool about that character. And honestly, like as much as I love Michelle Pfeiffer, I did not expect Anne Hathaway to to just knock it out the park like she did. She was a badass, and she 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 was the one. Like she she was badass in that role, and I will I'm all for it. Yeah, that's why um, I didn't even have Catwoman on my list because it's to me I've always yeah, me never, I've never viewed her as a quote-unquote villain i've always kind of looked at her as more of a foil for batman um and like you know i I just try to think of back of those times anytime i've seen catwoman in anything yeah okay she's stealing stuff you know she's a thief but she's never really been quite a threat to bruce or batman emotionally she's a threat to him for sure Mm -hmm. but uh really nothing beyond that so i've I mean, I, I appreciate the character. I really like Catwoman, but I just, I've never, even as a little kid, I never viewed her as a uh, quote-unquote villain. 
I think for me, it's it's it's. I really like the relationship that blossoms from the fact that she, that you know she starts out criminally by be you know being a yeah. tool thief or whatever, but then <laughs> it eventually like kind of gradually evolves into you know her understanding where you know it, it really does kind of come from after it, it depending on where your continuity lies if you like batman and selena like keeping their identity separate from each other but if if i feel like if they know who each other are then selena's whole perspective begins to change on what it means to be like in a costume and what it means to you know be vigilantic to some degree yep. so for me, it's I always did like it when you know when it's more antagonistic because then it's 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 more like a, a Romeo Juliet kind of thing because you have Batman who's there doing it for justice, but then you have Catwoman here doing what she does for like not per se, justice per se, but she's like do, doing it for personal gain. So there's already a conflict of interest, but the fact that you know they're both in a costume and they both do these things and they both you know essentially harm people of power to you know either put them away or you know hurt them you know financially or whatever like they both set out to do similar things and they admire each other for that but considering how they're both on two different sides of the law that's where their con their confliction really lies and i have always appreciated that about their relationship yeah 100 percent agree all right well i guess we'll just move right along to number six uh craig who's your number six my number six is um, <clears throat> Harley Quinn, oh, okay. um, mainly because, again, a lot of my inspiration comes from the animated series, and Harley Quinn was originally a character made out of the animated series, and it's very interesting to see that she started as this kind of side character from the animated series as kind of like a assistant to the Joker, and to just see everything that has happened with Harley Quinn over the last, you know, 20, 25 years to the point where she's getting her own films now. She's, I mean, she's a mainstay. I, in my opinion, I would say she's as common as a character in the DC universe now as Batman or Joker. Um, and again, it's the animated series really helped, I think, define that character it was very interesting to see a character who is in a very emotionally unstable relationship. Um, and I liked the fact that the animated series did not pull punches on that. I remember there actually is an episode in the animated series where you see Harley Quinn's origin story and you see how she was Harleen Quinzel. She was this very well-known and very um, uh, acknowledged a psychologist and she was fascinated by the uh, inmates in Arkham because she wanted to see their connections to Batman and how which ones were the cause and effect and of course she ends up meeting Joker he of course starts manipulating her to the point where she becomes obsessed with him and just seeing that evolution and watching this character kind of become something much more than just a, you know, oh, that's a cute character in a clown costume for the Joker to hang out with in the animated episodes. It's very, very interesting to see how that character has evolved. And uh, again, like I'm re-watching the Harley Quinn animated show on HBO Max, and I really, really like that show. Um, it's very interesting to hear Kaylee Cuoco from uh, The Big Bang Theory doing the voiceover. But she does a really, really good job. 
And I love the kind of frantic nature of it. I think that really plays into the character of Harley Quinn. And while she's never really been a threat to Batman, the way I've always looked at it is if it wasn't for Batman, if it wasn't for the animated series, this character would not exist. Um, I feel like my only gripe is like it. And I'm sure I think Phil and I have talked about this before. I don't think on the podcast, though irritates the crap out of me when i see people that are like oh i wish my relationship was like joker and harley quinn okay you obviously know nothing about the character if you want your relationship to be like joker and harley quinn yeah yeah i'm i don't really entertain i don't see too much of that anymore but that that whole concept is just like i i get it like seeing that and people be like oh well, my relationship it's like mm, okay sure if you want I think early on, early on, we saw a lot of that. I think like in, you know, the early days of social media and you saw people posting pictures of like that infamous um, comic cover of the Joker in the tuxedo and he's holding and he's holding the Quinn. The the, the Alex Ross piece. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. They, you know, you'd always see that on social media and you'd see people say like, oh, I wish my I wish I could find my Joker or like, oh, I wish I could find my Harley Quinn. And I think that was just because of the image of it. And I feel like now, since there is so much media out there in the movies now where you can actually see how that relationship has progressed over the years, I think people have finally kind of wised up and been like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I don't want my relationship to be like Joker and Harley Quinn. Yeah, and... I mean, definitely with that, in large part of her being as popular as she is, and her basically getting her own movies with Birds of Prey and her own TV shows with Kelly Kukow and everything, a huge part of that is Tara Reid just killing that character. Because if she didn't do what yep. she did, how she did it, there would have been no way that character would have got as famous as it did. Because even watching like Bruce Tim like saying, he's like, yeah, those is basically supposed to be like a one and done character as like yep. a sidekick, and then it got so popular that they just had to keep bringing her back because it was so great. Tara Reid is just amazing. Arlene Sorkin. Tara Strong, Tara Strong, Tara Strong, not Tara Reid, Tara Strong. Arlene Strong was the original voice of Harley Quinn in the Batman Animated Series. Tara Strong took over after Arkham City. There we go. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Don't listen to me, then. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I just, like, I, I... just that 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 information is just compartmentalized in my brain because I've, I've heard Paul Dini talk well, about it so often. To be honest, Phil, what what Batman information is not compartmentalized? Honestly, that's very true. Very 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 true. Um, I think Harley Quinn's just a, a very interesting character, um, at least from the the psychological perspective. Because then, um, you know, if you look at the Joker as a character, I'm not I'm really not ready to talk about him, but I will just say that if you just look at like you know. A lot of the other villains, by comparison, you know, you they have a name, they have an alias, they have like a, a, a shtick, they have a diagnosis. The Joker does not. The Joker does not have any of that. He does not have a definitive yep. origin. Um, I, I feel like, uh, for, for me personally, uh, the Joker begins with the Red Hood and, you know, really begins with person falling into acid. Who that person is is up to interpretation. Um, you can call him Jack Napier, you can call him Joe Carr, you can call him whatever the hell you want. Uh, it really doesn't matter to me. Um, just as far as my headcanon is concerned, the Joker is the guy who falls in the vat of acid, comes out with his skin bleached white, his hair painted green. And yep. uh, as far, if you just look at like the psychology of the character, like Harley Quinn is, a, is, is not, uh, what happens to Harleen Quinzel as she becomes Harley Quinn is a byproduct of 
the insanity that is the Joker. And the fact that she is, you know, that backstory was forged in in wake of that. And there's, yep. there's like a, a level of like humanity there that, you know, it's, it's mad love. It's unfortunate because stuff like that does happen in the real world in, you know, different parallel kind of ways. Cause you see, you know, I'm not going to get really specific here, but just, you know, you, you've seen a lot of, you know, women date the wrong guy right and they they fall for essentially the wrong kind of dude and they get down they go down a very dark path in terms of life and it winds them up in in places where you could see harley quinn landed herself to some extent depending on if you're watching the harley quinn animated series or if you're watching her go through her tutorless relationship with the joker throughout batman the animated series where she eventually gets poison ivy to have bruce wayne show for her and ivy around so fun character she didn't make my list but um i like that that she's on on there so good pull um yeah i, I toyed with the idea for a little bit i just I, I wasn't sure if i was ready to put it on there because like if i was going to put her on there i probably would have had to put the joker on there yeah speaking of which do you have what's your number six my number six is mr freeze i am not Very ready close. to talk about mr freeze yep <laughs> Same here. <laughs> so let me just honestly point out, like, so I want to say the couple of people I have from number six down, not all, just a couple, are some of my favorites because of the storylines. Like, Mr. Freeze alone, like, the storylines he has, I mean, usually, not necessarily the same, but usually having to do with his wife, Nora. But, like, even in the future, when, even in the, the Batman Beyond episode, when he's in the future and he was able to basically get like a regular body that basically ended up, you know, failing on him. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which that, that episode was sad. Like, I truly felt for Mr. Freeze, like that episode. But it's just one of those ones where it's just, I get upset because it's such a good character and it, it goes to waste. They, they can do so much with it. Movies, animated, otherwise. Animated probably has the best bet so far. But it, it just it goes to waste. And like again, back to back to the other Batman movies, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hey, all it's things just, considered all things considered, at least they, they, they went with like trying to, to homage the, the Heart of Ice storyline, so I'll give them that. I know, but I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger one liners work in everything but Batman movies. They work in all his other movies. They, they were like eighties action movies that, that like that one liner that's funny or it works or you remember it. They don't work when you're trying to make Mr. Freeze puns in a Batman movie. They worked in sixty six, they shouldn't have worked in, in the in the film and they did not work in the film. Absolutely. So so I mean if you guys have them on your list, I'm not gonna talk anymore about it because I'll just embellish what you guys are probably gonna say, which most likely might be the same, or you might have something that I missed. But Mr. Freeze is definitely one of my favorite characters, and I hate that I had to put him at six, but when I get to the other ones, you guys will see why. Fair enough. Uh, my number six is actually going to be Clayface, and I'm I'm thinking about it now. I'm just like, well shit, there's been like three or four different clay faces so i'm trying to think of like which one specifically do i pick because like you know there's basil mm-hmm. carlo from arkham city but i do like what they did with uh, matt hagan on uh the animated series yeah 
like the that amalgam of uh or not really amalgam but that like that 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 uh that cross of you know you've got the the Hagen character but he's got the Basil Carlo background being an actor and like the the way that character kind of like organically came together and how like he, he the way he becomes Clayface is like basically getting this this like this facial cream that would you know make his face into whatever he turns it into you know face putty i guess would be the best way to put it he like gets drenched and drowned in this stuff where he like absorbs and eats it and like becomes a part of him and that's how he turns into clay face and he can like you know basically mold his body to whatever but like that that image of from the animated series has always stuck with me the way that that character has been done and i'm waiting for the day to maybe see it in um in live action and it's funny yeah. Because when Matt Reeves got attached to do the Batman, I had always wondered, I was like, well, if he's going to do the Batman and Andy Serkis and him have a really good relationship, I wonder if Andy Serkis will wind up in the movie and now he's going to be Alfred. But before he was cast as Alfred, I was like, he'd make a hell of a clay face. Oh. I'm waiting for the oh day. My God, that, 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 I'm just, I'm just waiting for the day. Absolute like, like, dream. Just face that, that, that clay face gets done in like a mocap type of scenario. I mean, I look at Venom and Carnage. I'm just like, can we get clay face now, please? Yep. It's more than capable, and it's it's upsetting. Again, I'm I'm, I'm done with Clayface right now because, like I said, he's he's up on my list. So, okay. like, okay. it's okay. Clayface also favorite. Yeah, no, like you said, the imagery from the animated series that really stuck with me. That Clayface was one of the first ones for me when I was watching the animated series where I could kind of tell that the Batman animated series was not going to be afraid to go into like darker territory. Mm-hmm. Some of the imagery in those that origin episode where he's like got the stuff and you know, like it's kind of like mutating on his face, that mm-hmm. stuff really stuck with me when I was watching those episodes. And like the voice I thought was perfect, just this kind of like he's trying to be an actor, but he's got this like menacing side to him, very much reminded me of like Two Face, you know, where Harvey Dent's trying to be this regal you know, lawyer type, but he's got this like insidious dark side. I felt like Clayface was kind of the same way. He could maintain his composure, but then when he would start to turn into Clayface, you'd hear this monstrous voice behind it, and I just thought that was really well done. My ideal Batman movie has uh, has got to include you, you know, actually, you know what? I won't say it until we get to the end, because it's got a couple of my favorite <laughs> villains in it, but yeah, I'll, I'll get there. I will say that Clayface is is part of that, and he is part of an idea I've had for a Batman film for a very long time, and he's just one of those characters where, you know, I, I don't think, now that I think about it, one of the first books I ever read him in was uh, Nightwing Year One, and he plays a part there, it's, it's right before Dick quits being Robin, and Bruce and Dick are in a sewer, they're taking out Clayface, because Clayface has kidnapped his daughter, and it's just, it's not, it, it, for me, it, it's always nice to see like a, when I saw the character from Batman anime series, and then I open up a comic that I just bought, and I you know see a character that I remember. It's like, oh wow, hey, cool. There's that character I love, <laughs> and like seeing it in, from a different right, or different artist perspective, and it's 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 pretty cool like to see that character get a lot of love in a lot of other places. Like he was a very prominent character in uh, the ending of Arkham City. Can we talk about yeah? There are 20, Ten years past that, I guess we can talk about that. Spoilers. Uh, there's two Jokers in Arkham City. One of them's Clayface. <laughs> And it was awesome having Clayface be the final boss of Arkham City, basically, because that was cool. Yes. But uh, that is... Love Clayface. That is my number six. So we are now hitting the top five. Uh, Terrence, why don't you kick us off? What's your number five? 
Okay, so I'm ready to talk about Bane now. Okay. Because uh-huh. Bane is my number five. And definitely like Craig said before, I hate that I hate that they basically used him in the Schumacher movies, basically making him like a big dummy. Everything I saw about Bane from the comic book, because one of the first comic book covers, Batman covers I ever read or even seen was the one where Bane is about to break Batman's back. That that was one of the first Batman's I, like comics I actually got to get into and I got to read. I remember seeing that and just reading like the plan, plot calculated about getting all the other villains to tire him out so he can break his back. I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. And I, when I first saw like, oh, cool. I was like, oh, it's going to be a poison ivy and Mr. Freeze. I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then I saw him. I'm like, why is he only saying Bane? And basically repeating whatever Poison Ivy says. I was like, this is ridiculous. I hated his little spandex uh, bicep things he had on the little sleeves. <laughs> hated that. Because, I mean, it's not like you couldn't tell. Anytime he, like, stood like stood straight up or, like, bent his arms, you can see that little – the little roll on it to where it wasn't, like – it wasn't, like, at least painted on or some shit like that. I, I, excuse my language. Painted on or something like that. But it, I just hated how they portrayed him literally the animated series was the best version of that we got up until um tom hardy and even that like i had major issues with because it's just like one the one thing that got right about it in my eyes that i really loved about it was just how calculated he was and how smart he was in plotting everything up until that point from like basically taking over like wayne r&d department to blowing up the football field like just literally like mm-hmm. step after step like being ahead of batman up until like breaking batman's back hate the voice obviously and then the backstory really upset me mm. like if you're gonna talk if you're gonna speak with an accent or talk in a voice talk with a spanish one he's from what is it santa prisca like, yeah if you could have done if you could have done that accent you could have done a spanish one traditionally that's he, all i'm he, saying he wasn't he wasn't santa prisca but uh, i think in the film he was um Maybe trying to maybe I wouldn't say Middle Eastern per se, but definitely of a more more Western part of the world kind of heritage. Maybe I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what. Uh, I think Hardy said he drew inspiration from like a Irish and Caribbean heritage. So I kind of took him as like a, a, a more or less like mercenary pirate. But yeah, I mean even 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 that was okay. But it was just like he took he took liberties he probably shouldn't have and i get that but i mean you're just trying to make the character your own but again back to source material you have you have like the book you have the manual right there and you're you just wing it and as an actor i know you should be able to at a certain point but i mean com- not even comic book accurate like people want to see what they know and they want to see it done well in real life because they've seen it done amazingly in comic books and cartoons but they want to see the real life version they want to see basically come out of the page like I said, he did a good job with the character, and I'm not knocking it. I knock a lot of things about that movie, but it's just like the few little things, and it's just probably me being nitpicky about it. It's creative decisions at the end of the day. I mean, you know, they, it is. They, you know, Nolan is a very specific, real world kind of storyteller, so he obviously kind of took his liberties to make that version of the character fit within the confines of his world, and that's totally fine. It's just when you have when you have such a passion and such a love, and want to see characters adapted, and you know, I guess best way to say it would be a more faithful interpretation to get you know that that big hulky bane and get him like have that tube coming out of his head for the venom going into the back of his brain like i feel like people are definitely waiting on that i know dave batista definitely went to wb and was like i want to be bane and I, you know you, you think of that and it's like well shit that's perfect yeah yeah but i mean i was even okay without the venom like because I, I know like he wanted real world stuff and to a certain point that's not realistic 
Like, because I mean, at the end of the day, you cut his tube and he's done. Right. That, that's that's comic book stuff that and you even, can't even get around. Still, like that that was kind of the case in in the Dark Knight Rises because Batman Batman you know essentially does kind of the same thing because he decides to just pummel him in the face until like the, with the his air, mask yeah yeah the air canisters just break apart so more or less kind of the same thing but yeah but like I said it's a character I love and it's just like near and dear to my heart and I just it, it, it frustrates me seeing that kind of stuff like I said I I, I love it and again. Tom Hardy did an amazing job, and he got completely yoked for that role to make it as realistic as he could without getting diving into the cartoony realm of it. Yeah, I get that, but it's just like the the little tweaks. It's just um, what's the word I'm looking for? Attention to detail. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I really have anything else to add to me. I know Craig already talked about being solicitous. Move on to Craig's number five. My number five is uh, Raz Al Ghul. Oh, um, well, nice. let's, let's get this out of the way, because my number five is Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, whichever way you want to pronounce it. So <laughs> let's just get right into it. Nice. Yeah, so um, Ra's al Ghul, for me, I've always appreciated him as a villain for Batman, mainly because he's, to me, very, very different than a lot of the other villains. He's much more, I don't you would say necessarily regal, but he's just very controlled in a way he never really has any like crazy moments i would say i mean his plans and his agendas are crazy you know but um between him and the league of assassins he's always kind of viewed bruce slash batman as kind of a equal he's never really his goal is never to just straight up kill batman he very much wants he wants him to join him. He he believes that Bruce is the, the next line to take over, you know, the League of Assassins. Yes. And just that that relationship between the two of them, I've always really liked seeing, uh, especially like in um, Batman Under the Red Hood, the animated movie. You know, when Bruce goes to uh, approach him about what's going on in the film, and he doesn't. He doesn't, they don't have like a big brawl or anything. Roz views him as an equal and as someone that he wants to eventually join him. I just always really appreciated that relationship between the two of them and the way he always refers to him as detective. I think yes. in that movie specifically, the reason it works so well is because it, it, in the confines of that film, Raj Al Ghul was the one who essentially hired the Joker to create a diversion so yeah. he could do his scheme so as a result he feels uh responsible for the death of jason todd taking matters into his own hands by bringing the kid back to life and then that eventually blows up in his face in the form of batman coming like why did you you're the only one who could do this why'd you do it and Roz is yep. just like because i felt like i needed to right or wrong and honestly correct to your point that's one reason why i do like rush al ghul as a villain because he is in a lot of ways batman's equal but he is also like a, in 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 the same kind of way that Bane is, Ra's al Ghul is like a dark mirror of Batman in that what he wants to do is nothing short of world control and world domination, but he very much has the same semblance of justice that Batman has. The only difference is his justice is just corrupted through 600 years of bathing in a Lazarus pit and feeling the constant need to be in control of life itself. And I yep. think that's definitely something that, that speaks to you know Batman's code of like you know if I, if I kill someone I can never come back from that so if you feel yes. like Rachel Ghoul having that like well if I die then there's really no coming back from that and he probably fears that to some extent 
so him constantly staying alive even th- even creates another like moment another thing for batman to take into consideration because he is a mortal man and eventually to some you know depending on your storytelling preference like he there is a point where batman will have to like stop and he has to like maybe you know tend to a heart attack or you know can't yep. walk with a broken leg and has to put on like you know some kind of robo prosthetic arm limb or whatever you know there comes a point where Batman like has to take into consideration that he has to stop where Rachel Ghoul, if he bays in Lazarus pit, he doesn't really have to worry about that, but the cost is his sanity. Yep. Yes. And I think too, there's nothing more dangerous, and that's why I feel like Razal Ghoul is such a good villain, is there is nothing more dangerous than someone who's doing these kind of things that he does because he believes he's doing it for the right reasons. Right. Exactly. He's not insidious about it. He's not He's not quote unquote evil in his eyes. He believes that what he is doing is justified and he believes it is the best course of action to take for the good of the world. And that is a very dangerous mentality. Not only that, you know, he's he's six hundred years old and he's yeah. just as adept in combat as Batman is, so that makes him just as lethal to anyone in the Batman family. And yep. to my knowledge, the only other person in the Batman family who's like gone toe to toe with Rachel Gould and walked away, Tim Drake. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So in final during Final Crisis, when Dick Grayson was Batman, Damian Wayne was Robin. Tim Drake was Red Robin, and he was searching and like basically not really going off a conspiracy, but he was like piecing the the idea together that Bruce wasn't quite dead, but maybe trapped in time. And at the at, at some at a certain point, he has to come face to face with Rachel Ghoul, and they fight. I think in Wayne Tower, one of Wayne they fight in like one of the Wayne buildings, I think. But they fight to a standstill, and and like Rachel Ghoul even calls Tim detective. Like he he acknowledges that Tim is like worthy of being in that family. Damn, I, I need wild. to check that out. The one thing that really comes to my mind too, uh, as far as like Rachel Ghoul. Being that old, you have succumbed to so much knowledge and so many different things that happen. It just makes you that much more dangerous. And he kind of just comes off super, like, so nonchalant to where you almost wouldn't expect it until you see him, like, throw down. Yep. Or, like, he does something to where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's been alive for 600 years, so he's kind of been around the block a couple times. I really like to in the Batman Beyond series, uh, how basically how I think I forgot who it is. Um, I think it's like Taya comes to see him and then he actually goes into the uh, Lazarus pit. Yes. And he, yes. for a little bit. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then he, you know, told Terry, he's like, you can stay like this. And he's like, no, it only lasts for a couple weeks or so. And then he's going to go right back to being like an old feeble man. Yeah, they had like a not permanent Lazarus pit. But it was like a very like uh, maybe weekend or less than last pit but essentially uh what the twist of that episode is uh you find out that Raish is now in talia's body yeah which was wild because after a while the, the the effects of the pit no longer begin to affect your body i guess so you need to transfer the body um and i guess that was okay yeah because that was also part of the plot because he wanted to transfer himself into bruce's body to have that like prime physical physique or whatever yeah that was interesting. And looking back on it, that, that was such an underrated show. Supremely underrated. Yeah, I've seen a lot of older Batman fans like kind of hate on it, even though they're fans of the animated series. I'm just like, okay, but whatever. It's actually really good. 
all things considered, it's a nice, you know, spirited sequel series to the animated series. Yeah, I mean, it even kind of kept the animation style. Yeah, it kind of had its own style in a way, but I like that it stayed kind of true to Batman the Animated Series, made you feel like, yeah, this is a true continuation of the animated series. Um, yes. I remember I, I, I got up early and I watched the premiere episode when it came on TV. I, I loved that show. I'm a pretty huge fan well, of that show as well. I love all the callbacks to Batman Beyond as well through the Justice League TV show. Like I, I love all the callbacks to him. Yeah. I would right. love someday for there to be a live action Batman Beyond, but I just I don't think that'll ever happen, unfortunately. Um, honestly, I, at this point, I'm just gonna sit here and be happy with old Michael Keaton Batman in the Flashpoint yeah. movie. That, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of like two minds about that film. I mean, you know, I really like Ben Affleck. He's the extended universe Batman. That's gravy. Uh, I feel like you know. There was a lot of complaints about you know Ben Affleck's Batman being too old, but now that Michael Keaton's back in the role, suddenly it's all gravy because it's Michael Keaton. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. But yeah, I, me too. But you know, it's it's cool that Keaton's going to put the suit back on. I, I do appreciate that. I have seen a couple photos of like you know his Batcave. The Batmobile's apparently coming back too, so that's that's really cool. Yep. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm excited for the Flash movie. Um, there are there there are there are some things that I'm still just kind of like concerned about I, I absolutely think though that uh ray fisher should be a part of that that film and be a part of that shoot but oh, man i'm not we're, we're not really here to discuss that situation in great detail but that's that's about where i'm at regarding that situation going back to our supervillains um terrence who's your number four okay so my number four is also from the metal uh series um Dawnbreaker batman so basically mm. green lantern version of batman uh also craig again not trying to spoil it for you i know you're gonna look into it but i mean oh, once you do get into it i feel i really do feel like you're gonna love it so basic uh storyline behind um Dawnbreaker batman if you don't know is basically uh joe chill you know same same story leading up to that's like earth negative 32 i think um, Joe Chill comes, kills Bruce Wayne's parents. Bruce Wayne basically goes void of all emotion and calls the Green Lantern Ring, finds Joe Chill, and tries to kill him uh, with the Green Lantern Ring. Green Lantern Ring obviously won't let him, so he basically mentally overpowers the Green Lantern Ring into being able to kill and kills Joe Chill, becomes the Green Lantern of Gotham, and then starts killing all the enemies, including Penguin. And then when um, Commissioner Gordon tries to tell him to stop, he kills Gordon too. Oh, wow. Yeah, basically seeing as how uh, he wants to do something different and uh, isn't isn't, uh, tries... isn't Dawnbreaker Batman? He's a uh, it's the younger version of Bruce Wayne. It's the kid who gets the Green Lantern ring, right? It's the kid who gets the Green Lantern ring, right? But basically, after he kills Gordon, uh, like a team of uh, Green Lanterns comes to apprehend him because he's a rogue Green Lantern. He overpowers them since he corrupted his power ring and he kills all of them. Oh wow! Then he goes to uh, Oa steps in the power battery, ages himself to an adult, and doing that, he corrupts the main lantern battery and kills all the other Green Lanterns. Okay. That is wild. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to read that, that story again. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, that's why, like, again, being uh, other than Batman Flash and Green Lantern being my favorite ones, these two stories are so just, like, off the rocker, especially the Dawnbreaker one. Like, he just does not care at that point. So he just goes in... He literally goes in the battery, ages himself to an adult, and corrupts and kills everybody. That's wild. All the other lanterns. That is wild. 
it's such a crazy story and i i again i'd never get enough of them and this is one of the ones i want to see live action or even just an animated movie I again, I think that, that the whole Dark Knight's metal concept can work as like a little animated trilogy, if you ask me personally. But uh, it really can, definitely. What about you, Craig? What about your number four? But my number four is actually uh, Poison Ivy. Ah, uh, I consider putting her or, on my list. But really, she did not make mine. For me, what I appreciate the most about Poison Ivy is I uh, kind of similar to Ra's al Ghul. She's I mean, she's obviously a villain. She's killed many, many people. But she believes she's doing it for the right reason. And her reasoning is she's trying to protect the plant life. She's trying to protect the planet. And again, kind of similar to Ra's al Ghul, there's nothing scarier than someone who believes that their actions are justified and doing the right thing, especially when that someone can control any kind of plant life and turn it into a murderous, (laughs) killing creature. You know, so, it's, it's funny. It's really funny that you mentioned Poison Ivy because uh, you you guys didn't put Catwoman on your list because you guys don't really see her as, as a villain per se. I feel that exact same way now about Poison Ivy because of certain stories and certain things that have been done with her, like in, in recent comics. Um, like, for example, in the story Deceased, she's actually much less of a villain and much more of like a, an agent of the green energy, kind of like a swamp thing. So she's uh, also she's oh, also nice. like got a there she's in a relationship with Harley Quinn and that as, as well, um, and they basically kind of create a haven that is uh, untouched by the outside world and the dead and the people infected by the the anti life death equation that the anti life virus that gets plummeted to the world through cyborg like it, it is just it's pretty intense. So uh, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. It's just. I'm just going to point out that Poison Ivy is not on my list because of recent things like that. But you're right. Like, she is a very formidable foe. She has the ability to take over, you know, anyone at will because of, you know, the the the, the toxins that she can create from the kind of, you know, plant life that she controls. It's very well-rounded, interesting character all around. Yep. Yeah, so that, that was my main reason for having her on there and just... And even in the versions that she's had throughout the years, the animated series version obviously was one that really stuck out to me. Um, Uma Thurman's version. <laughs> I mean, that was that's what it was. That that was what it was. Are and we just going to pick on Batman and Robin this whole episode? <laughs> I mean, shit. I would say she was definitely out of out of the three villains in that How movie. Much time she was. You got, buddy. <laughs> definitely, I think the most. Uh, true to character i think that's i mean yeah. yes she still that's had a lot of one-liners and everything but i feel like his portrayal of poison ivy was pretty accurate i think Her. um so uh yeah, yeah. i think so <laughs> i mean loving uh, loving plant life and everything before and then going from being human to just you know trying to take care of the world and the plant life on it um and being basically not even considered human and basically yeah. just being a plant herself Mm-hmm. to like you know look after the plants in the world just like completely just avoiding herself of any humanity she had in being one with plants because she always refers to everyone else as humans and her is not so much right and honestly to kind of tie it in again to the harley quinn show that i'm re-watching um i the version they've got of poison ivy in that show is i love her on there fantastic she is a she's probably my favorite character in that show Oh god, that um, was the voice. Um, she's just I forget her name. Spectacular. Um, yeah, 
I'm gonna look it up. Here. Right, she's talking. She's Honestly, pretty, and like, I love that show. But she's not afraid to just mess people up with her plant powers in that show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even blink about it either. It's a, it's it, the show is so well done and so R rated. It's just so ridiculous. I love it. Honestly, my favorite like two people that. on that show, other than uh, Poison Ivy, has to be King Shark. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Lake Bell does the voice of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and I adore yes. that take on the character. I think her uh, her dry humor and wit is very very much in line with with how I kind of pick, hear the voice in my head to some extent. Yep. Um, I'm just I do love that character, and I'm hoping that she makes an appearance somewhere in the either in the extended universe or maybe in the in the Matt Reeves Batman film universe somewhere. Um, okay, that would be very interesting to see if they were able to integrate Poison Ivy into that. Indeed. Now, Terrence, you said your number four was Dawnbreaker, correct? Yes. Okay. You, Craig, just said your number four was... Uh, Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy, right. Okay, just make sure we're all on the same page. Because my number four, uh, Terrence, you already kind of mentioned the character. Uh, I've mentioned the character. We've all kind of talked about this character in particular. Um, Because my number... These four for me, my top four, can kind of like change at a whim. But honestly... um, they're all kind of in a similar class, but uh, I did kind of like have a hard time putting these four in this order. But I will say the the, the my number four is the the clown prince of crime, the Joker. Yep. Number four. Number four. Yep. Number four. For you, number four. For, for me, number four. <laughs> yeah. I'll be damned. Uh, again, I I'll just go ahead and spoil it early. My I mean. I went the basic route. Uh, Joker is my absolute number one. Okay, well then then stop talking because you can save it. You can just save it, (laughs) Mr. Spoilers. (laughs) But um, the Joker for me has always just been like, it goes back to the animated series. It goes back to 89. It goes back to even with like the Dark Knight, like that, that, that character is just, you know, he is what he is. He is a perfect antithesis to everything Batman is. He has done probably some of the most heinous things to Batman personally and throughout to any any other villain, I would say. I mean, he paralyzed Barbara Gordon. He killed Jason Todd. He cut off Alfred's hand. He fought Batman to the death God knows how many times. He's just the most unpredictable character you could ever imagine, and he does it because he thinks it's funny. That is truly terrifying in and of itself. And, like... Yeah, he's probably over over a little overrated to some to some extent. There are probably a lot of people who, you know, idolize him for a lot of wrong reasons. I will yeah. say that just just in terms of sheer ferocity and just sheer just insanity and just being the the total opposite of everything Batman is. The Joker is just that in every way, shape, or form. And I don't know if I have a favorite live action interpretation. I've been thinking about this because like, you know, they all brought something to the table that's very interesting, but you know, I just watched Zack Snyder's Justice League last night, and I can't just help but think, like, you know, I was talking, I don't remember who I was talking to, but you can kind of look at uh, the Dark Knight relationship between Heath Ledger and Christian Bale, and you can see where that is, like, where where the the relationship kind of begins, and you see the, the ideological differences between the two characters, whereas you get to, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and you have Ben Affleck and Jared Leto, and you have, like, a very aged Batman and a very aged Joker, and you see what this history has done to them you see just how they know how to poke at each other you see what it will take for them at the end of the world to like have to work together but even then it is still the most like discomforting thing for the both of them and it's abundantly clear 
I hated Jared Leto as the Joker oh, in the Suicide on. Squad. Listen, listen, listen. You mean Studio hated... Squad, right? Whatever, whatever you want to call it. I mean, pile of something and something else. But like, I I couldn't stand it because it it seemed it almost seemed like at first he was like trying too hard. But then I saw the deleted scenes, and then I saw the Snyder Cut. And everything about that Snyder Cut wanted me to see a whole movie with nothing but them two in a room talking. Yeah, because like I said, it's it. I think informed history is really hard to come by, but when you have two actors like that, like Ben Affleck and Jared Leto, who are just, you know, they step into their respective roles. And the studio cut of Suicide Squad is just like kind of a just unfortunate mishmash of just this studio wanting to have their versions of the Guardians of the Galaxy and these needle drop points and this just awful yep. humor and just it's just not fun and I hope yep. to God they release the air cut because there's a larger role there for Jared Leto to chew on I've even seen some of like the dialogue that he was exchanging and he's just the relationship that they displayed in the movie was a very much like watered down PG-13 it's it's very much like you know the the the, the over exaggerated relationship people used to glorify all the time it was that incarnate on on screen whereas I think in David Ayer's cut of the film it is very much that abusive terrible relationship you don't want people to be in and i feel like yes. that would honestly be a little bit more faithful to who these characters are and truthfully like i love what heath ledger did with the role don't get me wrong i'm not a fan of the smeared makeup and even to jared leto's you know role that's what i kind of loved about the snyder cut version of the character because they kind of got rid of the damaged tattoo but you could still kind of tell the tattoos were still there to some extent but even still, like the tattoos for me, there were, there were just maybe one too many, but I still kind of understood where they were going with the concept. And that's that's also not a thing that's not privy to the comics. The Jokers had had tattoos before. That is yep. So. Yeah. I think for me, honestly, it's like, you know, I just like seeing the zaniness of the character. And I also really love seeing who can do what with the character. And that's honestly what really kind of disappointed me about. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the first episode of Titan season three, but they kind of like gloss over the Joker in a really horrendous way. And I was just really disappointed by by that because like, you're, you're really just like missing out on the opportunity for an actor to really showcase what, what they could maybe do with this role. And you just, they really did nothing with it in my opinion. So if you think, if you think Jared Leto's terrible, I'm telling you just take a look at that Titan show and then you might re reconsider it a little bit. <laughs> See, no, that's the thing is I, I thought, I thought it was terrible, but then I, I witnessed all the stuff like that they had cut out. Yep. That made that movie that made that showed what he could do with it, mm -hmm. and then literally watching the Snyder cut, literally that last like the futuristic scene, when you know, taking over Superman um, with the anti-life equation, like it, it with Joker and Batman, just that small dialogue of them bringing up the past and having to work together and them just hating each other, like that is everything that I wanted to see with those two. Because again, Jared Leto, just like Heath Ledger, I was very iffy on it. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw it, I, that unlike Heath Ledger, when I saw his, I was like, okay, I, I don't know where they're going to go with this, but I mean, hopefully it's in a good spot. And then they delivered exactly how I thought it was, so I was kind of upset. But seeing literally just that small bit of the Snyder Cut made that much more of a difference. I think like for that me, was the only difference I needed. I think for me, what I really loved about it was like it it tugged to my strings as a Batman fan because it's it's deliberately pointing to a very specific storyline because the lines the Joker says to Batman, like you know, oh he knows exactly what it's like to lose so many loves, a father, yep. a mother, an adopted son, like yep. deliberately pointing that pushing that button of like, haha, I killed your kid and there wasn't anything you could do about it. 
Like, yeah. Death, in, Death in the Family is one of my favorite stories ever. And the idea of Batman losing a Robin, I think, is just one of the one of those stories that where you, if you want to get Batman to an exquisitely dark place, but have him still operate, but like he's operating from a very darker perspective, that's the story you do. And I feel yep. like that that influence for Ben Affleck's Batman was like the perfect influence thing. And that could just be my bias speaking. She begged me with her last breath that when I killed you and make no mistake, I will yep. kill you. Yeah, that I do it. Yes. Slow. Oh, that's yes. that line you just knew that was the line that was crossed and that's what they were hinting at and that's what drove him to be the batman that he was in those movies oh honestly i think the line that jared gives him right before that you know a true you know he flicks out the card from his mouth and he says a truce Bruce. yep all you have to do is tear this card in half any and i'm happy to discuss with you any way you like why you sent the boy wonder yep. to do a man's job and it's like yep. the the, the the delivery of that line, you can almost kind of hear in his voice, like, yeah, he fought back, he didn't survive. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I I still that's just that last bit. That's that's what put me to that like I mean, I was already like shouting out Restore the Snyderverse, but like when I saw that, that that made me a fan more so than I even was before of Jared Leto. I have an idea of how that of how Robin died. I'll probably tell you guys after we're done recording, but I have, I have an idea. But, uh, you know, let's move right along, because I'm sure we spent enough time talking about the Clown Prince of Crime. Uh, Craig, your number three you've already mentioned was the mask, was the Phantasm. So um, yep. I don't Phantasm. know we, we need to revisit that conversation anymore. Uh, so we'll just go to Terrence. Who's your number three, my friend? Okay. Uh, I had to go, and again, these last three were kind of hard, because I was watching... Um, Justice League, uh, Crisis Between Universe. Uh, which one Crisis was it? With the, yes, and I was going through it, and I had to throw an Owl Man. I had to. Oh, good choice. Voice by James nice. Woods, right? Yes. Yes. So good. Just the complete, not even necessarily opposite of Batman, but just a nihilistic version of Batman, where nothing matters, everything needs to go, and I'll be part of that. Like he's so good. Like James Wood. James Woods is amazing in, in himself. Yeah. But even still, like you throw him in as like Owlman, like the, again, not, not even the other side of the coin of Batman. It's like the same side, but it's all scuffed up and jacked up version of Batman. Yeah. Like it's like same basic, like thought process of how he does things like tools of the yin yang and just basically ready for anything. Like it, Owlman is he, he's a G. Like there, there's no way around it. Oh man, is awesome, and I there needs to be more stuff with him in it. I think my favorite line of that movie is the exchange between Batman and Owlman right at the end, and, and Batman tells him, you know, oh yeah, Earth both, Prime, yeah, yeah. We both stared in the abyss. The only difference is you blinked, I didn't, and I was like, ooh, ooh, that's that's Batman. That's prime Batman writing right there. Yeah, no, that was. Again, uh, it, it's amazing. Like, there's there's no way around it. There's there's no other way to say it. It's Owlman is. But to your point, Owl, yeah, Owl, you, Owl. you know, he in that movie, you know, he he essentially kind of like, you know, it's it's down to like the two greatest tacticians in the multiverse, and they're basically like fighting over the fate of it. And and like to your point, like, oh, Owlman being just such this this nihilistic mirror of Batman, just like no, to hell with it. I've seen it all. It all needs to go. And Batman's just like, no, I'm not gonna let that happen. 
I did. I wasn't expecting that. It's good. Good choice. Great choice, Terrence. Good job. For Outman to have that intellect too. Yeah. He has the knowledge, but yet he still doesn't care. Yep. That that's what just caught me off guard. I was like, okay, he's just gonna kill Earth Prime and then kill everyone and anything that ever existed ever. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of anythings and anyone's and ever. To just right. Yeah. End. All right. Well, uh, I think you guys will probably be surprised by number my number three. Um, I, 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 I almost put her a little higher, but I, I'm actually pretty content with her being in, in third place. So uh, my number three is the one and the only, the wicked, the ruthless, the Amanda Waller. Nobody crosses the wall, Amanda Ooh, Waller. Nice. Yeah. Now, I've I made, never would expect that. I've made no bones about this. Amanda Waller is hands down one of my favorite antagonists to the character of Batman. And that is partially because of Justice League Unlimited and her role that she played there, where her and Batman are almost two sides of the same coin in that they will do whatever it takes necessary to get their mission done. And I love that. I love that she is this cold, calculating intellectual. She's like the one person in the DCEU, in the DC Universe period, who could stand there and make Batman think for a second about what his next move is going to be, and also Lex Luthor. She's one of the only few people in the entire DC Universe who is up there in terms of intellect to make them be like, I have to play it very careful with this woman, otherwise I could lose some very important things about who I am. Like She has that much leverage and power over a lot of people. Not, bar not, not even talking about the Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller is just someone that I've just always admired because of just how ruthless she is. She has plans on top of plans. Exactly. She, she has a backup for every situation. She has plans A to Z up to like AA, AB, AC. It's the whole alphabet in that song. Like it's in she I wholeheartedly applaud you number three, Philip. That Amanda Waller is it's one of the things I, I I would have considered her, but almost didn't consider her just because the type of person and character she is. She's like almost, she's not even really a villain, but she is. That's the messed up thing. Yeah. yeah she I mean, is there to like defend and protect like America and the yeah, world. People. Yeah. You know, which her... she's ready to do some horrendous things to do it, which yeah. is awesome. You know, her origin in, in the Austrian to run a suicide squad, it's actually really tragic. She, she loses her whole family to just a lot of like regular social violence. And, in that, in wake of that, she decides to become a big political figure, and then she ascends, you know, to government, top government level, and that's how she becomes the leader of the Suicide Squad. And her and Rick Flag kind of put together this team, and they do these really dirty dozen missions. And they, you know, that's that's another thing. Like, you know, I I do love Viola Davis in the role of Amanda Waller. I do think, uh, honestly, the the first film was just a little bit better in terms of uh, portraying her brutality and her ruthlessness. But that's not to say that it is not present in the most recent film. Uh, I will say that that her kind of cursing out there towards the end was probably the closest I'm ever going to get to, like, nobody crosses the wall. Because I will yeah. always love that <clears throat> line delivery from um, CACH Pounder in, I believe it's Assault on Arkham, where she's about to, like, blow all their heads off. She goes, no one crosses the wall! Yeah. Bam! Smacks <laughs> the button. Oh, dude. Like, yep. Amanda Waller again is just and to even kind of bring it into Batman Beyond territory how she engineers the whole new Batman scenario like that's twisted but at the same time Mm -hmm. it's like 
she did it because she thought the world needed a Batman. Yep. She does ever. She is the absolute definition of what I've been talking about with some of my villains. She does it because she feels that it is the right thing to do. She will do anything and everything possible to make sure that the outcome that is expected is the outcome that happens. And she doesn't care who she messes up in that process. Yeah, I'm not at all. Like when it comes to favorite Batman villains, there's never a question that Amanda Waller will be on my list. She will absolutely be on my list more often than not every single time. And I she, am lightweight upset. I did not put her on my list. <laughs> I'm glad I did. She's she's one of my favorite DC characters ever created. I'm glad that she's now in the extended universe, and I'm glad she's gotten a lot of love, both like on you know the CW and animated form, and like you know Suicide yeah. Squad, Hell to Pay, and even Assault on Arkham. Like she's just one of my favorite characters. So I, I I'd be remiss if I did not put her on my list. All right, well, I guess we'll uh, move on to number twos. Craig, who's your number two? Number two was one that got mentioned earlier. Um, I don't remember who mentioned it, but uh, my number two was Mr. Freeze. And mainly because of what we talked about earlier about him, I just I wanted to kind of wait until I got to my point on him. And it's just uh, that, that story of Mr. Freeze and his drive to save his wife's life um, basically, for those that don't know, Mr. Freeze's kind of origin story that's kind of... I mean, honestly, I feel like the animated series really developed that origin story for him, and I they feel did. like every type of media going forward has used that influence for Mr. Freeze's origin. Um, so, for those that don't know, his wife comes down with a rare blood disease uh, to the point where she has to be put in cryosleep uh, so that he can try to develop a cure for her. And that's what motivates him to do what he does. He's not doing things. He's not conducting his schemes and everything for technically evil purposes. He's just trying to get the funding that he needs to figure out how to stop this virus that his wife has so that he can save her life. Everything he does is for love. And that is just so tragic to have this guy who is this absolute genius but yet he has to use that genius for the complete wrong reasons because he's trying to save the life of someone that just means the absolute world to him and uh to, to kind of go on terrence's point honestly one of the things that sticks out with me with mr freeze i'm gonna give some praise actually to the schumacher movie those puns were absolutely fantastic i don't care what anybody <laughs> says I love those puns in that movie. I I have annoyed my coworkers for years with those puns. You can ask my friend Whitney. I would just be like, hey, Whitney, what killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the Ice Age. <laughs> I can't see it, it is, but I'm shaking my head right it, now. It's oh, it's not God. that they're not funny and that you can't use them. It's that the, they were a thing in the yep. movie. <laughs> yep. They were absolutely a thing, and Arnold Schwarzenegger nailed it with those puns. So if there's if there's not someone that you can get to be Mr. Freeze and deliver ice puns, that is Arnold Schwarzenegger is the guy to do it. I'm just more mad that they made him a gimmick, and yeah. a genuine yeah. villain. You know, to piggyback off Craig, he's my number two as well. Mr. Mr. Doctor Victor Freeze is in fact my number two. Terrence, you mentioned earlier that uh, Batman Beyond did 
gave him a, an episode meltdown that's one of my favorite batman beyond episodes yep. uh, largely you know to craig's point because of uh the heart of ice episode that is really where mr freeze's true character development swan songed and yep. paved the way for his character to have that that through line throughout the the, the remainder of his history as we we go into it today so again you know he's just one of those characters where i really just love you know the aesthetic i love the dome shape of his of his of his helmet sometimes if you if the whoever artist decides to do that i think that's just a very classic look for the character uh the freeze gun i mean the animation style that they did for the you know batman the animated series and how they would show the the freeze swirl out of the gun was always really cool to me um the just, voice yeah. the voice yeah like michael his Arsana, voice in the animated just... series very haunting and menacing at the same time that's the kind of mr freeze i'm waiting it, for. like it's Somehow it just sounded cold through the TV. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, man, so good. No pun intended there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none, none at all. Like, no, no one-liners here. I did not think so. Did not think so at all. Now, did you say your number two, Terrence? I did not. My number two is Mr. Waylon Jones, Killer Croc. Oh, okay. Oh, nice he has always been a favorite because I visually like love how he looks in the comics. I, I did not like the uh, the first like version of the animated series, like the old school one where he was like gray with just like bumps and like sharp teeth, yeah, yeah, yeah. which brings me back to the damn baby doll episode. <laughs> <laughs> like I hated that episode because basically she somehow. Just because she let him out, and she thought she was in a relationship with Killer Croc, and then she's just using him for, using him, you know, basically to do anything since she's a, a, a grown, a, a small grown woman, and I just I didn't like that because basically it's another thing which is like, I don't like how. You have a character like that that not necessarily has an awesome backstory, but you can use in a lot of different cool ways, but it just hasn't been portrayed in a way that just makes that character seem awesome. It's just like King Shark. King Shark was never a standout character, but for some reason he's getting all the love right now, whether it's on the Flash TV show when he looks awesome, or he's just a big, dumb, funny dude from the Suicide Squad movie. But, like, it's one of those ones that everyone loves. Or he's also, you know, Harley Quinn just being, you know, IT funny guy, but still, Uh you know, very... yeah. He's getting like the recognition, like that. It's almost undeserving. You know, I, I mentioned for to you being guys, like a C-lister. I, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording that I'm reading. I, w- I just finished uh, Batman Prodigal, and in that book, uh, Dick Grayson dons the cowl as Batman. Tim Drake is Robin. But the, one of the first one of the first foes that they go up against is, in fact, uh, Waylon Jones, Killer Croc. And um, that was actually one thing I did like about Studio Squad was the 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 aesthetic and makeup they did for that I can never remember the actor's name and I truly apologize, but the 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 aesthetic they did for Killer Croc was just absolutely spectacular and it's no re, no it's no you know real rhyme or reason why that 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 movie won the the Oscar that year for for effects and makeup because it was really just that good. See, that's I mean I. I thought it did look really good and honestly it was like it was just miles and galaxies far off from the Michael Chiklis like the thing from the original Fantastic Four series like it it looked phenomenal in the Suicide Squad movie but like it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to make it look that good go all out make him a giant alligator instead of just a regular human sized person like anthropomorphic where he's just basically an alligator head I can understand that Uh, I I 
I can see why some people might want something like a little bit more Arkham, where he's a bigger monster. But I actually really like that he. Was I love that more, version. More human, because that's a little bit more in line with like the animated series to keep it like you know maybe maybe realistic to some lesser extent, I suppose. But uh, well, like fantastical enough to where you could buy that this dude is like you know part crocodile. But I don't know. Yeah. Man, the first time uh, in Batman Arkham Asylum, the video game, when you first see Killer Croc and just the size of him, I'm just like, whoa, this is a very different version yeah. of Killer Croc than I have ever seen. Yeah, that's one of the things, like I said, I, I really did appreciate about that game was like, um, just stuff like that with my with my when some of my favorite characters between like like I said Killer Croc, even you know the Joker had a different look to him compared to like uh, everything else. But I say it, everything everything in that game worked as far as just like the aesthetics of the characters, and I, I really did like and appreciate that about that. Um, the newer version of the animated series, I, I did like how they changed it up a little bit with Killer Croc, but it's just he's one of my all time favorites, and I just wish they like he would get the recognition and screen time and just like the glow up the King Shark got. You know, I really hope I've actually seen a conversation that was supposed to happen between, uh, at least on paper, like between Deadshot and Killer Croc that was supposed to happen in the air cut of Suicide Squad. And it's just leagues and bounds just better than that BET crap line that was in there. Ugh, just Yeah. So the exchange I saw it was like Deadshot and Croc talking about like, you know, when I get out of here, you know, can, can you take care of this person? And Deadshot tells Killer Croc like, you know how much I cost? Like, you know who I am? And Killer Croc was like, you know, so-and-so. And Deadshot's like, yeah. He's like, I'm the one who put the hit on. Of course I know how much you cost. Well, now are we going to do business or what? And it's like, that's Killer Croc. Why would you cut that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know. I, I hear you, man. Like, you, you know, a lot, that's what I love about this list. There's a lot of, you know, names I, ne I never expected here. I mean, I'm glad you thought of Killer Croc. I, I considered it, but he did not make any of my list, unfortunately. I like that Craig... For all intents and purposes, the only person I can think of that would think of putting Baby Doll on a favorite villain list. So that's really surprising. <laughs> Yet no one put the ventriloquist, so that's that's a, well, we still have number one. So I can't be wrong about I that. I really, really toyed with that idea, and I, I, I trust me. So did I. I ventriloquist like almost made my list as well. He, it, it was really hard to like scratch him off like my rough draft of like my top fifteen because I every episode he's in I love like Chilicus and the Dummy I they're, they're great like the commentary Shit. between both of them is awesome it's one of those few ones it's just like you know what like no one really thinks about it but it would be great and honestly I'd love to see that in live action too I would like to see the ventriloquist and like Mad Hatter be used as secondary smaller villains that yeah. Batman catches in the beginning of the movie or something like that. Kind of like how Scarecrow... As long as they don't just get someone like Jeff Dunham to use him. Right, right, right. Like, I, I'm thinking, like, maybe, you know, do how Nolan did Scarecrow in the beginning of The Dark Knight. Like, have it do work like that in some capacity. But... You know. mm -hmm. well, I guess We without... all know superhero movies with three villains don't really work out too well most of the time. Uh, it depends on the movie. Um, anyway... I guess we'll we're, we're finally at number ones. I'm I'm kind of curious to to hear what everyone else's number one is. Um, Craig, why don't you uh, go ahead and be the first? Oh wait, you, you already said number one was Joker, so I guess we already knew who yours was. Yeah, and I don't really have much else to say after everything we've gone over about him. Nothing at all. You have nothing to add, to add about about the Joker that you 
Get that I mean, we just we've touched on so much about him. He's just such an influential character. Um, I mean, really, the only other thing that I can really think of is just the standout with Mark Hamill as the Joker. That yeah. voice will just never leave my mind. Everything about that is just absolutely amazing. All right. Uh, Terrence, what about you? What's your number one? Uh, baseball Carlo, Clayface. That is my number one. Ah, you know what? You did mention that Clayface was on your list, but I didn't expect him to put it number one. I applaud that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you, like I said, you brushed over it, and like I said, I applaud and I appreciate everything you said because it's one of those ones where it's just like if they if they did it because we can get carnage and venom it, it's almost there's no excuse not to do it now mm-hmm. like if i had the option to he would definitely be on my list like if, if i was making a like spider-man sinister six version of like batman's rogue gallery he would definitely be on that list yes yes i like the way you think yeah, I mean, Clayface, again, he's just one of those characters who just, you know, you can... I think I think Clayface is a character that's just long overdue for a live-action anything because you can do a lot of cool shit with that character, I'm telling you. You really can, and it's... It's it's a, it's upsetting and, like, underwhelming that, like, just no one thinks of him. They're just going to revisit, like, people that have already been used. It doesn't matter, like, if you have your own way of doing it. Like, do something do something different. Like, new. We there's so many different characters to choose from. Like, I'd, I'd even go see a Batman Calendar Man movie. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. Well, uh, without further ado, we have the Joker. We have Basil Carlo Clayface. Riddle me this, riddle me that. My number one is afraid of the big black bat, and that is Edward Nigma, the one, the only, the Riddler. Okay. I don't know why, but the Riddler is actually I, I I've got a pretty solid idea why. You know, I just love the gimmick of the green and black question mark or sometimes purple. Uh, there, I don't think there's ever really been a bad performance per se because you've got Frank Gorshin, you've got Jim Carrey, Robert Englund even voiced the character in the Batman. That was really cool. But now I can't really wait to see Paul Dano's take on the character. Um, also. Uh, John Glover voiced the character in Batman the Animated Series that just that that perfect mental foil for Batman even though he's never quite going to get Batman I still find that pretty funny um, but even <laughs> overall like just, just the visual aesthetic of the character the cane the the constant trying to one up the 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 need to be impulsive the need to want that attention the just yearn to be smarter than Batman I just I find that fascinating because it's just so I see a lot of Batman fans on the internet and then you see a lot of Batman fans like be kind of shitty to other Batman fans on the internet and it's like you're kind of acting like a Riddler right now but I don't know (laughs) it's like I I just really love the character and like how long he's just been around and like how he's remained relevant since that And, and again like I always thought the the best kind of modern context for the character is what they've done with him in like you know Arkham City and Arkham Knight, and I think maybe even to an extent with uh, the the upcoming film, like they're making him kind of a serial killer. I'm like that's kind of the route I think they should have gone a while ago. Like when his traps are lethal, is when you know you you start to really think about things. It makes you kind of have to think a little bit quicker because life is on the line. Yes, and honestly too, I mean, a lot of people don't really see or even play him. But a good representation of the Riddler, uh, like a really underrated one, is on the Batman Telltale game, uh, Batman Two. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. Like that was uh, he was vicious. He could fight, and he was 
very calculating and just his traps were just something to behold. Like if you press the wrong thing at the wrong time, some of these fingers would get chopped off. It was, it was pretty, it's not what I expected from the Riddler. And if anything like the new uh, Reeves movie coming out is going to be anything close to that, it, it is going to be something to witness. Like it's, it's going to be something you need to see. Well, you know, I, I can't wait. Like that, that bit in the beginning of the trailer where he's just kind of cutting up tape and he's wrapping the mayor's face around it and says no more lies and then he delivers like another body to Batman or like, you know, Bruce Wayne at that funeral and it's another letter dressed to the Batman. Like, it, yeah. it feels like this Riddler's definitely one to like leave a body of games and it really feels like his, every trap he, he leaves involves death in some way, so... We'll it feels see. like this. It feels like this Riddler almost from the trailer. It's looking like is dang near Jigsaw from Saw. It's a little bit Zodiac too, kind of the vibe yeah. I got from it as well. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where Matt Reeves and Paul Dano take this version of the Riddler. It's going to be really exciting to see how that that uh, that really does fledge out and formulate. Because uh, I'm I'm hoping I'm really hoping it doesn't get the black man he doesn't get the black mask treatment and somehow dies at the end of the movie. I like I want a Batman universe that's like kind of full with characters for once, you know. <laughs> it's that's the one thing about movies is just like yeah like they it's always a gamble they one. have to kill him off. Yeah, but I mean if even if they don't, are they going to bring him up later? Are they going to have more movies later? Is the whole franchise going to get canceled at some point to where basically you just had characters you had saved that you didn't get to use? It's it, it, it's it's frustrating watching all this stuff go up and not, them not being able to use stuff, them using it and then saving it for later or yeah. A lot of things go into like when the actual movies get made with characters you want to see get used multiple times. So you you mentioned earlier that that comic book films with like three villains in them fail. You know the Batman has like three or four villains in it, right? Well, this upcoming one. Yeah. So yes, I know, and that's why I was kind of worried about it because I know what is it? Uh, Catwoman, uh, Cobblepot, and Riddler, Riddler. Uh, was and, it? Was it and, and Carmine Falcone? I don't really consider him as like a like villain. What? villain. He is, Carmine I mean, Falcone? He's, he's... Come on. He's 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 a villain, but he's more he's like an underboss. Like he's a crime boss. He's in Gotham a, City for sure. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, you're gonna are you gonna really gonna base a whole Batman movie? Well, I around mean, he, he is also Selena Kyle's father in some incarnations too. So important character. Mm, yeah. And they they did cast John Turturro in the role, and there it does look like that there is um, a long Halloween kind of vibe going on with that relationship. I could be wrong, but I, I don't know. I guess we will see. Like I said, I'm I'm giving Robert Pattinson the benefit of the doubt, so I, I'm I'm gonna go see it, and I'm not gonna cringe because I've seen the other movies he's been in, and like I said, he's a good actor. But then poor Robert Pattinson, everyone just refers to him as the shiny vampire from Twilight. So that's the only thing he gets credit for nowadays. Yeah, he's only taking credit as a shiny Batman these days. But you know, I'm I'm really excited to see where that role takes him and hopefully he gets to you know gets a trilogy we'll see. i really like the suit i just the cow looks a little weird to me like a little bulb headed yeah yeah i can understand that i am all for what looks like a mustang or ford gt version of the batmobile and I do like the cycle from the steel shots I've seen. So, like, hopefully, like I said, we get to see a lot of the vehicles. Like, whether he's got the, the plane or the boat in there as well. Yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely see if there's going to be more um, 
bad vehicles popping up and also you know villains too i mean i would i would love to see you know after this movie maybe maybe some other villains pop up like some other uh you know you mentioned calendar man i mentioned uh, mad hatter um i think i even heard a rumor that mad hatter might even pop up in this film so oh. maybe i don't know uh I feel like in, in this world, just based off the pure aesthetic alone, you could do uh, maybe the Court of Owls. You could probably definitely do a Two-Face. Um, you can most certainly do a Joker. And uh, I would probably also maybe throw in uh, Hugo Strange. Honestly, if you're going to get that dark from what it looks like just from the Riddler alone, might as well throw like random at, random ones in that you wouldn't consider really uh, throw, throw Professor Pick in there. Deacon Black Frost. Deacon Blackfire. Deacon Blackfire. I don't know why it's a Black Frost. <laughs> yeah, there's like so many ones you could choose from that like could work in that real dark, gritty, like actually terrifying serial killer world that would be very good. Like I said, still still like holding out hope to see Firefly. Yeah, me too. And there there's a murmur that Firefly might be uh, one of the antagonists for the Batgirl film coming to HBO Max. So Oh. We'll see. We shall see. I'm surprised. You know, Firefly is a villain that I kind of like. Uh, no, nah. <laughs> it was just one of those things. Um, so yeah, that that is that is that is, that is our uh, top ten villains. I would like to thank both my guests for uh, for joining me for this lovely, awesome conversation. So, Terrence, thank you so much, man. It was a blast Any, talking a, about this. Anytime, man. Anytime you have something you think I might be good on, I will be here for this show. I am for Batman here and always. Like I. It's something I definitely can't talk about for a long time. You, we, we've wasted plenty of working hours at work talking about Batman. <laughs> this is very true. Um, you know, I, th- I think Craig might have stepped away. You there, Craig? No, he stepped away. Okay. Yeah, there's, we got a message from Craig. He had to step away to make his daughter Addie dinner. We uh, So thanks again, Craig, for stopping by and giving us your list before we signed off. So um, if anyone wants to follow Craig on Instagram, just give him a follow at Craigie Omega. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun, Terrence. I'm sure I'm probably going to be asking you to step in at some point, probably for some other stuff. Even the first round of podcasting, pretty good, man. I, I enjoyed talking to you about this stuff. It's Thank a lot you. Of fun. So, Appreciate uh, it. I mean, it's pretty natural. I mean, even if I was on camera, and I talk to a lot of people with my job, but even still, fun. True. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, social media presence people can follow you along? Because I know you're a pretty busy guy. I know you kind of touch base with it here and there. Oh, yeah. Um, If anyone wants to follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, I have two. I mean, one's for work. I'm I'm with the Navy, so I'm actually a Navy recruiter. Um, Golden State Sailor would be my work one. Golden State Boy, all one word, boy would B-O-I, just for random stuff here and there. I mean, like I said, while I do love Batman and the DC Universe, I am also a huge fan of Marvel, so basically anything comic books in general. But anytime you're on here, I'm on here. You're going to be hearing me just talk about straight up DC. Saucy sauce. And if y'all want to listen, again, thanks for listening to the show. You can find it on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Just search for The Eternal Night on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, it's just capital T-E-K underscore podcast. And just, um, I think it's the same on Facebook. If y'all want to just uh, leave us an email, it's eternalnightpod at gmail.com. So thanks again. If you have any questions or comments, again, just leave us an email or reach out to us via Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we actually also, now that I think about it, before we do sign off, we did get a couple comments on Twitter. Uh, just I did throw out the idea of people, of you know, who their favorite villains were. Let me just go ahead and pull that up. Just would like to think. So uh, one comment on Twitter from Dawson Weedrich, nerd many ways. Favorite Joker, one wish I would be used more, Clayface. Couldn't agree more, Dawson. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Yes. 
And then I think where there was also, yeah, there was a Facebook comment. Let me pull this up as well before we sign off. Turn my page, there we are. And this comment comes from Melissa Nicholson of the Nerd Night Nations podcast. She says, commented on her Facebook post, uh, Joker, Penguin, Poison Ivy. I mean, the list goes on. So many of the Batman villains are great. Joker I enjoyed most. He is a complicated character, and I love that you can get a sense of him, but you can also can't quite figure him out. So thank you, Dawson. Thank you, Melissa, for chiming in. Much appreciated. Um, yeah. Until next time, guys, stay safe. Wear your masks. Have a great day or night. And also, you know, <laughs> share us. Share, share the podcast. Leave us a like. And keep loving Batman. Keep reading The Dark Knight. Keep reading anything Batman-related. Take it easy. Stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> Their bones will turn to ice. Their blood will freeze in my hands. Kill them, of course. But why stop there? Why should only Batman and Robin die while the society that created them goes unpunished? Yes. If I must suffer, humanity will suffer with me. I shall repay them for sentencing me to a life without the warmth of human comfort. I will blanket the city in endless winter. First, Gotham. And then, the world! Just what I had in mind. Everything dead on Earth except us. A chance for Mother Nature to start again. Behold the dawn of a new age. <sighs> My mutant plants have the strength of the deadliest animals. Once you have frozen mankind, these babies will overrun the globe. And we shall rule them. For we will be the only two people left in the world. Yes. Adam and Evil. Yes. You distract the bat and bird while I prepare to freeze Gotham. Thank you for listening to The Eternal Night. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Media or DC Entertainment. All thoughts shared belong to those involved and not the companies they happen to work for or be talking about. Drop us an email at eternalnightpod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at T-E-K underscore podcast. Thank you.